I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 366. And today I'm joined by the one and only Andre DeQuisto to discuss the aggressive scouting and hunting tactics that have made him in many people's eyes, one of the very best deer hunters in the country. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today we've got a heck of a show for you. This this is one that I've wanted to do for years and years, but couldn't because our guest, Andre DeQuisto, from, from what I can see from the outside at least, was not interested in doing any kind of media or interviews or anything like this for quite a time now. I think, it, gosh, I think it's been almost a decade, but that's changed. And for the first time ever, we've got the lone wolf, Andre DeQuisto here on the Wired to Hunt podcast. Now, I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of Andre. You know about him. You've, you've seen some of his stuff. Um, if you've listened to many of our podcasts over the years, you've definitely heard a lot of other folks mention him as an influence. But if you're not familiar, here's the, the really quick rundown. Andre founded Lone Wolf Tree Stands and started the Whitetail Addictions TV show back, I think this was in the early 2000 period-ish. And during that time, he made a name for himself with his deer hunting success and tactics on top of the business kind of stuff. He he seemed to push the limit more than almost anyone else back then, and he was definitely one of the first well-known hunters to popularize this mobile, aggressive style of deer hunting. You know, if you've heard, and I've talked about it, we've talked about it on the podcast, this thing called the bump and dump tactic, for example, that's Andres. He was also very aggressive with his hunting goals, targeting and successfully killing very specific deer and just the biggest of the big. That was his thing. Um, and again, this is pretty early on, and he was doing this just consistently. At one point, he even decided to specifically go out, find, and kill the state record typical buck in Wisconsin. And he ended up coming very close to that. He killed the number two buck, and then I think I think it was the very next year, he replaced his number two with another number two. So... You know, this guy is—he's on a different level. Uh, he's just—he's just doing something different than a lot of people. Now, eventually, Andre decided to step away from things a bit. He sold the company. He ended Whitetail Addictions and kind of just stepped away from the public scene. But Andre's back now, 
He's launched a new company. It's called Lone Wolf Custom Gear. He's relaunched Whitetail Addictions, uh, and he's kept on targeting those top-tier whitetail deer. And as I mentioned, just doing this at a rate and with a degree of precision that's just about unmatched in the hunting world. Um, and I think what's what's so unique about Andre, more than just his, his success, is how many people point to him as being the guy that taught them how to hunt mature bucks or who helped them jump to that next level or who is, in their opinion, the very best out there. I've talked to so many people and said, who do you think is the best deer hunter you know? And they say, oh, Andre DeQuisto. And those people saying that, those are guys who I think are the best of the best. So that that tells me something. Uh, from the outside looking in, it just it seems like Andre is is kind of the godfather of this aggressive, mobile kind of deer hunting culture that's picked up so much steam over the last decade. And that's all to say uh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this one. This is a conversation I've wanted to have, and I'm glad we can share it with you guys. Now, a few caveats before we get into it. First, I do want to make it clear. Andre is an experienced, very goal-oriented hunter. You're going to hear, when he talks here, you're going to hear that he specifically chooses to target the biggest bucks around, and he focuses on antler score of those bucks to help quantify those goals and push him as a deer hunter. And I think it's great for anyone out there to have goals and to push yourself, and I think it's great for each of us to do that in our own way. Now, I bring this up because I don't want you to listen to this conversation and hear how Andre quantifies his goals and talks about his goals and has his goals. I don't want you to hear that and then think that that's exactly what you have to do too. You don't. You can if you want, but you can do it your own way too. If you want to kill the first deer you see, great. If you want to pay attention to score, great. If you don't, that's great too. If you're going to go out there and kill a year and a half old buck and you're having a blast, more power to you. Same thing if you want to hold out for a three and a half year old or a seven and a half year old. Hunt your own hunt. Don't feel pressured by anybody else. Enjoy yourself. That is the most important thing. Enjoy the whole experience. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the the landscape. Enjoy the quiet. And yeah, enjoy targeting a buck or whatever kind of deer you are going after. Keep that in mind as we listen to this one. Secondly, there is a decent amount of adult language in this episode. So heads up, folks. We have tried to filter some of that out, but there's still some in there. You have had fair warning. Feel free to listen on if you are okay with that. And if you are not okay with that, just go ahead and skip this one. Check back in on our other episodes or the 365 episodes we have preceding this. Lots of good stuff there. Just want to make sure we all have got that out of the way. So there we go. Qualifiers, caveats, Heads up's out of the way. If you want to listen and learn from one of the most talented, focused, detail-oriented, and deadly deer hunters out there, listen on. All right, now with me on the line is Andre DeQuisto. Andre, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Yeah. About time, man. Yes, I, I agree. I'm, I'm excited this is happening. You've been, you've been someone on my radar ever since we started this podcast in 2013, I think. Um, I've, I've, I've wanted to chat with you. Um, but you've, you know, you haven't been doing a lot of these things until recently. So I'm really excited that now we can do it and have this conversation. There's, there's a lot of people that are interested in, in learning more from you. So I appreciate you making the time to do it. I'm glad to. It's, it's interesting because especially this year, but really 
over the course of, I don't know, the last five, six years, so many of the people that have been on the show and people that have really influenced me and probably a lot of our listeners too, really, really good deer hunters. Many of them have pointed to you as being a huge influence on them. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who've said, you know, Andre is probably the best deer hunter I know. He's the one who taught me this thing or that thing. Um, there's like this, this coaching tree of different people that all point to you as being this, this big major factor on them, which, which makes me wonder Mm -hmm. if, if all these people are pointing to you as the best deer hunter, they know who's the best deer hunter that you know, Well, this is going (laughs) to, this is going to sound a little, uh, a little one-sided or loaded, but, um, I've thought about that many a times, you know, the best deer hunter out there is probably still, still up and coming. Um, and I know a lot of them, a lot of these guys on our white toe addictions, a lot of the guys that come up, just the guys that you've talked about over the years are phenomenal, phenomenal hunters. Um, but I'm going to say what, looking at somebody firsthand and watching, uh, my son's probably not getting the credit due. He is more aggressive um, he's kind of taken my style and, and put it on roids per se. Um, he gets more opportunities and that's how I always was. I wasn't always a great shot. Uh, I wasn't probably the best guy on the range, but I was a guy that can get, get myself more opportunities at deer, uh, to kill him. And I think he's, 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 uh, molded out of that same cast per se. When he gets in his head, you know, and he gets the okay, um, you know, it's a couple of days before that deer is on the ground. Um, he just he just hunts them down, goes aggressive with it, and uh, so I'm, I'm going to save my son. Okay, I, I like that. From from afar, it definitely seems like the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. Um, I gotta I gotta wonder though. I've I've listened to your guys' recent podcast series, and and Cody and you are on there together, and you guys have some kind of entertaining back and forth. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, a father son. Yeah. Duo. Yeah. There's always that interesting dynamic. So I got to wonder, so y- you just gave him the big kudos. You just, you just told everyone, tens of thousands of p- people out there that, that Cody might be the best deer hunter out there that you know. So I got to believe though, there's something that he does that you just shake your head at and like, think, what is he doing? Is there anything that comes to mind that you, that Cody does that just either drives you nuts when it comes to deer hunting or that you just um, can't believe he does it or surprises you? Anything no, like that? So a lot of, you know, a lot of people think because he's he's my son and we have good leases and properties. This kid cut loose from me years ago, believe it or not. He's he's living in a pretty big shadow, okay? Um, and he goes off on his own, and, and, and he figures stuff out on his own. Um, he finally figured out once, he said to me, Dad, he said, why the hell do you put these food plots up where where we can't kill anything on them? They're, they're set up all wrong. And I, I told him once, I don't want you to be able to just jump on a food plot and kill that deer. If you can figure out how to kill that deer that's going to that food plot um, somewhere else or just on a property, I have them food plots in there basically to hold deer and keep them on this property. Um, But you'll become a better hunter, you know? So it's the old scenario, you know, we used to hunt uh, over bait years ago. Bait used to be legal in Wisconsin and bait's a tool and it's a good tool. Um, But I've seen too many guys get caught up in that trap and they're good at that, and then that's where it ends. And I'm going to tell you, once when them bucks get off them baits and go, and you're still hanging on to that ray of hope over there, you're, you, you just about burnt your whole season up. So um, 
good example is once there was a deer on here, we, we probably didn't want to shoot. We were going to let go. And it was getting toward the end, and it's a pretty decent deer. And I, I just kind of gave him the okay to, you know what, if, if that deer, if you can tie into him, take him down. And I was in the living room with my wife, and I see this kid ripping up and down the street. He had three stands on the back of his freaking ATV. <laughs> on the back, he went to one spot of the property, another. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> he killed that deer that night. Wow. Wow. Uh, just and he had all preset for probably different winds and was going to go at him different angles, but he just picked the, you know, uh, the first one and got it. And so he kind of reminds me of uh, I was when I was younger. If I got pissed off or a deer pissed me off, it wasn't going to be too long before that thing was hitting the ground. I would just get into a different mode or a different attitude and just go at it. And now here I am, you know, thirty years older, and I'm up against me back 30 years ago, trying to, trying to compete on the same piece of ground. So it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, it, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a new, it's a new, new turn or new chapter. I'll say that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that when you first got into deer hunting, you got into it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but as I understand it, you first were into trapping. That was, that was your thing. Yeah. And then Love you got trapping. a hold of, got a hold of a bow and then that all of a sudden took over your life. Um, what was it? once you got into deer hunting that switched the light on for you, where you went from, you know, just, just being out there hunting to all of a sudden hunting them down the way you do, like you described, you've evolved and changed. Was there an aha moment? Yeah. The, the deer hunting, the deer hunting, um, I, I, I think we made it clear in the past, but the deer hunting came in way later. I've hunted with a bull. Uh, actually we started hunting with clubs before we even had a bull or a BB gun. Um, I was taught by some older, um, older, uh, guys that were older brothers of a friend of mine and watching somebody with their bare hands go into the woods and come out with rabbits and pheasants. Um, it just, just impressed the hell out of me. Um, these guys were like, uh, just in the military out of Vietnam and they were, um, I watched a guy literally take a pheasant out of, out of midair with his bare hands. And, and it was, I mean, it's just impressed the young kid, you know? So, yeah. so we started doing that. We started clubbing along with them and, um, and then we got into trapping and snaring and we got, um, and I tell the story, people laugh. My first bull kill, uh, was a rabbit. I ran out of arrows and I literally beat it to death in the, in the deep snow with the, uh, with the recurve. Wow. Um, so, and I still have that raw mentality of, I'm not still to this day a very good shot. Uh, I'm not real consistent on a range, but man, when it comes time to to put an arrow at an animal, it just seems like it's you know instinctive in, instincts take over and that arrow just hits home. So um, I've always had that barbaric more thing, and I love scouting more than I do hunting. Believe it or not, I enjoy more poking around, looking at signs, trails, tracks uh, than I do sitting. To me, sitting in a tree stand, you know, it'd be a boring, boring deal. It's a patience game. Um, but refining my skills over the years, um, you know, where you started out, you know, hunting generally, I was never a, a big rut hunter cause that's where luck to be would come into the case. And I, ha- and I have no luck. So, uh, when you're hunting a specific deer, I think, um, uh, it's a whole different, whole different game. And I, I don't know when I, that I started doing that. I actually, um, just look back a bunch of pictures I had from years ago. There was a lot. And guys don't realize that I was an absolute clown start now. Believe me, I wasn't always a skilled hunter. Um, 
mean, I could probably tell some stories that are embarrassing about starting out hunting and, um, but it just, you know, being out there, being real perceptive, the way my, my mind works, um, I research, dissect everything that I see. I don't just basically, you know, wander through the woods aimlessly. Everything I see there, I'm soaking up. And, and when I see an occurrence happen, or uh, I learn something from it. So um, it, it's been a long, long, what was it, been 40 years now? So, uh, but getting back to that, looking at the pictures, there's a bunch of tiny little deer. I look at guys' first deer nowadays. I said, you should see my first deer. You know, you could put a grapefruit in between the, the antlers of it. <laughs> Yeah. And there was a lot of small deer up until then. And I think, you know, when it, what really drove me, um, I was always an athlete, um, a record type goal oriented guy. When I shot that first buck and it, it was a one twenty five and an eighth and it was like a score or something. Um, it gave me a, a goal to work for. I was always goal oriented. And then it was like something lit up in me and it, and it, and it Every deer all the way up to like um, 180 inch shirt, my score of a whitetail had never never gone back, which I don't know if a lot of people know. I know I've told a story before, but so if there was a 125, then it went to 132, then it went to 138, then it went to, I had a, I had a buck one year, it was in the 50s. I let him go three different times to shoot a deer that was like 157, like five inches bigger than the one that was there. I was just had that set in my mind. So, um, always been goal irritated, always about to score. And still to this day, it's, um, you're always looking for something bigger than you had before. Um, you know, which, which could get pretty tough nowadays too. So, yeah. Has that ever, has that ever come back to bite you or have you ever felt like, ah, that's, you ended up not being happy with something because of the score or is, are you, is that goal driven thing always been good? Because, um, I never shot anything smaller than I wanted to. So whatever I shot, but, and, and I have a, a, a whole ton of deer that are like 169 inches. So when I, once I started getting to the point where the deer were so big that you're, you're probably not going to you know, find one for every five years, I set my goal to like net Boone and Crockett type deer. And, and it's weird, boy, I see these deer and I know, I just know they're going to be an inch short. Uh, that one that I took um, just missed the state record by like an inch and a half. Dude, I knew on the hoof, it was going to be about an inch and a half short, end up being an inch, and, and that's frustrating. But um, so I never really made a mistake of going. You know, I'm looking for a 170 and shooting a 150. That just ain't happening. It's you know, it's a, a million miles apart. So uh, no, I never regretted really. Um, you know, my my goal was to shoot a a, a typical in the 200 range. Uh, my my ultimate goal was to have a state record someday in Wisconsin. I I failed at that twice. Um, I shot one that would have been number two in Illinois one year that missed that number one. And then I always had this, some fantasy to shoot a world record, typical buck. And that's like a needle in a haystack, but I'm going to tell you they're, they're out there. Um, they're getting shot with guns they're finding sheds and, but it's still just a, you have no idea what, <laughs> you know, what, what accomplishing a goal like that could be. And, um, I'm happy and sad to say I've been in a game with two that I think would have made it. And I got my ass kicked both times. So, um, <laughs> it was, it was a fun, fun run. Now I don't know if I, if I got, you know, fuel in the tank to, to ever achieve that again, but, um, I'm not traveling States, you know, I'm kind of parking in Iowa. I could shoot legally three bucks a year out here. And I don't, I, you know, I shoot a buck here or there. Um, 
and now that the show's back on and we're doing product, you know, things are changing a little bit. Yeah, that's that's what I was kind of wondering was if if you still had that drive to try to chase that 200 inch typical or that record, but it sounds like kind of settling into a new set of goals. Yeah, well, don't get me wrong, buddy. You, you tell me where one's at. <laughs> I'll, I'll be there with, with Bill on to do it. Yeah. So somebody had, on our page made a statement like, well, we should find a deer for Andre to hunt and um, on some public just tell him the county is where it is at and let him, let him go at it. Dude, you find that deer and use the, use the caliber number I want, I'll be there camping out and, and I, will, <laughs> I will go at him long and hard until I die. It's just that there's not, uh, you know, with cameras now, you, you kind of know what you're dealt, even on our property. We know just about everything that's on there every year. Um, so for you to have something on the piece that you're on of that caliber, that's, that's like winning a lotto really. Um, or being awful lucky to it. So, yeah. Yeah. When it comes to, you know, what you would do in that situation, let's say if someone said, I've got this buck, this probably world record, Andre, come take a swing at it. Um, I want to kind of understand how you would go about tracking down a buck like that. But before that, I kind of want to try to understand a little bit better how you approach this from the mental side of things. Because I think when I listen to you talk, when I see the things you do, you've got a really, you know, an incredible sense of like the X's and O's of deer hunting and how to set up and all that. But then you also have this mindset and this drive that I think separates you too. And, and, and I'm curious if we were trying to recreate the next best deer hunter. And I told you that you could either give him your mental drive or your, your mental kind of just state that you take in hunting. You can either give them that, or you can give them all of the X's and O's knowledge you have, but not both. Which would you say is more important? I, you know, I wouldn't want to give them what I have. I, I think, and I, I don't know this for sure. I don't know all the uh, the studies on it, but people don't realize that I'm dyslexic and I have some uh, learning kind of disabilities that are frustrating. And the older I get, and I look at stuff totally different than other people do. And, and I don't know if that helps in the game of whitetail hunting, but it is frustrating in just the world of, you know, navigating through, through just life. So, if a guy had to have that, if that's what helps me read sign more and, and dissect things more, um, I'd give him that ability, but I sure to hell wouldn't wish it on him uh, in his normal day to days. Cause um, uh, I mean, I can't, like I explain things as simple as uh, I'll walk up to a door handle and I'll grab a hold of it and open it up. And I want to know why somebody designed that thing, the shape that they did that. Why, what, what drove them to do that? Or these ice cubes that actually block the fluid from, from a cup that you're drinking out of like what moron can freaking design an ice cube that, you know, and it's there, it's everywhere. Why hasn't somebody changed that? Why hasn't somebody done something about it? So wow. when I'm in the woods and I see stuff, it's, um, I'll give you a perfect example. We went, we went to a, a spot in Quincy, Illinois once and I took a friend of mine and, um, we did some scouting and I just, well, I, Jesus Christ, I had pardon my French, but I went through a spot that I just about had a through it. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> and I just walked him through it and I watched him, meandering through, looking at, I said, what do you think of the spot? And he's looking up in the trees. Yeah, this looks like you can get a tree stand in here. Like, what is the having a good, get a tree stand in or a spot, you know, being able to put a stand in or having a decent spot for a tree stand have to do with anything you're looking for here. You look for the deer first, the tree stand's a tool, uh, you read the sign and you go hunt the spot and you apply 
wind direction, thermal stands to that, and you go after them. Um, you made a statement about what I would do to go after one. I know somebody on another podcast mentioned that, uh, was talking to about me to somebody else and mentioned a friend of mine that I was kind of a little cocky and, and he was kind of going to bat for me. No, no, he's really not. And then I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm as cocky as they get when it comes to what I want to do. So I don't, man, I have all the confidence in the world. I, I will not be intimidated by uh, just an animal. I've been in the game enough time. Um, so that part of it, where most guys are going to have to get over, you're going to have to kill some caliber animals under your belt and get comfortable. Otherwise, you're going to be shaking in your boots when they come in there. Um, but I, I mean, I just, like I said, I go after, I go after it a lot, a lot harder and more confident than most most guys ever would. So, uh, so the deer that we were hunting in Wisconsin, I had the shed to, to it the year before. I came close to killing it. Thank God I didn't. It would have been, you know, Boone and Crockett that year. Uh, but just at the last second, he froze up and just wouldn't step out of the swamp. Found the shed to it, and then we were, you know, had cameras out. That was the old film cameras years ago. And me and a buddy of mine went to Walgreens, and we were looking through the pictures, and boom, there he was, right? I look over at my friend, and his jaws dropped. I'm looking, and we're looking around like, you know, somebody looking at us, they're going to see this? Like, like we're, <laughs> it, it was funny. But he's like, he's like stuttering. He says, and I'm just like ready to get the hell out of here. He says, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to that swamp and killing this buck. And I left. <laughs> and he's just, he didn't know what to do, you know? So kind of an inexperienced hunter, but, but a, a, a good guy. I went home and it just, I tore all my shit out, threw it all on the fricking uh, kitchen table. I started thinking, what do, what do I need here? What do I absolutely do not need? I'm going to lighten this up, started taping up, silence and everything. I was getting ready for the game because the game's about to begin. Then I had some brainstorm that I was going to take a camera in with me. This was when we were doing the show and I was going to go into the swamp and hunt this down. And knee high, um, muck. And I got in about two days and I thought, okay, this, this ain't going to happen. This is a physical shit. So I needed that piece of information that I always need. Uh, I need to know where he, he bedded. I know what he did last year. I kind of got some history this year. I went into where I thought he was and I jumped that sucker out of his bed. And I backed out and I set up on that bedding area and I just waited um, to pre-rut where he showed up last year on that field. And believe it or not, that deer showed up the same freaking day it did. Because uh, my brother was actually hunting that field and seeing that deer um, the first day it showed up and it was running our uh, our clover food plot there. So there I kind of had an, enough to know that I'm not going to be able to go in there every day in and out, you know, with all this fulfillment. So it, it's a burden. You know, we've lightened it up. We've made it easier. But it's, it's, it's again, it's more weight. It's more equipment. Um, so I basically uh, took the knowledge I knew and, and set up, and it, and it all panned out. It worked out. Um, he was better right where he was before, uh, made the move, and, and I was right there to put an arrow on him. So, um, I've heard you say in the past that you don't give a lot of value to year-old sign, that you mostly just prefer, like, red-hot, fresh sign. Um, but it sounds like maybe in, in some cases you do look at some of the older stuff or, or I guess, what do you find valuable from off season scouting? What can we pick up? What are you doing? So on that deer, there was no age old sign. It was just the history of that deer living on that property. But I went and bumped him out of his bed a week before I killed him. So that's pretty red hot that he was living in there. And if you've seen where this buck was bedded, I mean, there is nothing 
all the same cattails, red brush, no structural, just that sweet spot that that deer probably uh, grew up. Uh, and a funny thing, too, I always like to add this. I found a shed after that deer was harvested that just the tips in the muck, and believe it or not, it was a shed for that deer. I still got that up in my garage from two years earlier. I don't know if that was kind of some weird omen or whatever. but So that deer grew up on that property, lived there. Um, you've got to be on red hot sign. You, you know, all that information you got from last year that, you know, if, um, where rubs were made and all that stuff, stuff changes. And I've never, um, I've never been able to sit confident in a spot that I didn't know, like what was over the next hill or what I picture that deer sitting there. I picture him in his bed. I picture him, uh, wanting to get up and do what he's going to do. So it's, like I said, I think I come in an end of a total different, um, uh, aspect and a lot of guys do that. Just, they'll just sit there and all of a sudden the deer will show up, you know? Um, um I'm actually thinking this damn thing in. Yeah. You got <laughs> and wishing him down that trail <laughs> and putting him into a scenario that I've played in my mind a million times and it's all coming together. It's, um, um, it's just like sports, you know, you, uh, you practice in your mind, that perfect bolt or that perfect lift, or, um, you've, you've been there, you've lived it already. And now it's, you know, it's coming to tuition. So, um, so there's about 10,000 things I want to drill into a little bit more on what you just mentioned, but, but first, if, if the red hot sign is, is the very most important stuff, it's all that in season stuff. What, mm-hmm. what are you doing like right now until opening day? Is there, is there something valuable that we can be getting preseason? For me, the, the, that's all I need to know, right? I mean, I know this, um, and, I, and I made a statement. There's pieces of this property I haven't even been on. Every year we shut hunt, we, we go to spots that, you know, we just don't go into because it's just, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense to. But I know the piece of property inside out. If a deer shows up, I'm basically all about inventory. So I got to know that that deer's there. And my biggest thing from all the years is, and what, what cameras really did for me is, um, I don't want to have to make a last minute decision. Um, every time I've ever had to do that, I kind of screwed up. If it's a deer I want to harvest, if I'm already committed to that animal and I see him, man, it's, there's a lot better chance that deer's getting killed. than you know, here he's coming down a trail. He's at 40. Now he's pretty easy. Is he big enough? You know, might, should I shoot him? Should I not? very, very bad situation to be in. Um, it's, it's just, you know, ripe with mistakes. So, um, I like to do that inventory, know they're there. And if that deer's on this property, I mean, if I can't tie into that deer in a season long, um, I think I'm not worth the salt. <laughs> I'm either, you know, do you, um, uh, do you have a buck that you've got your eyes on yet? Do you have the one picked out? Uh, we found some sheds. Hopefully he's back. And if it's going to be one of those, if he is back, it'll be, it's a, a one or none season. Um, yeah, I'll go after him hard. I do have a, a, a pretty tough competitor to go against, um, uh, which, which will make things a little more interesting, but, um, I'm not going to have him back off it or, um, if it's out there, you know, he's got the opportunity to get it, but yeah, it'll be, It'd be a deer that I would, I would be happy harvesting and, I, and one that I'd love to play the game with. Um, and hopefully he doesn't just roll over and, and and play dead on me and he gives me a run for my money this year and I have a, another good year of memories to <laughs> take with me. Yeah, I've heard that you like those deer that make you work for them through a long period of ups and downs. I think, 
I think I remember hearing you talking about a buck that was maybe your most memorable one, took you just through the ringer and had all sorts of mishaps. And when you finally killed him, it, it means so much more, right? Is that is that yeah. still the case? So I'm looking at that deer right now. It's in the living room, and it's a it's a 157-inch growth. <laughs> it shouldn't be in that room, but that deer there, uh, out of all of them, probably gave me the biggest run for my money. So, um, yeah, it's I don't know. It's, uh, I'm my mom's favorite because she said I was the worst, almost killed her in birth, and, and the pain and agony she went through. There must be some kind of psychotic freaking <laughs> bond with that type of uh, misery that just um, yeah. connects you to stuff. So um, that that deer, dude, I, I had tears in my eyes. I It was like the last freaking day I had the opportunity. I could not get my bow back. I had the worst buck fever all that season built up, and I was like, had everything I could do to just get that thing back. It was the ultimate ultimate high for a bow hunt that I've, uh, experienced. So what, um, what did that buck teach you? Was there anything that after that season and all those trials and tribulations, is there anything you can point to like, wow, I really came by all those challenges now learning this thing. Uh, I don't know if I really learned. I, the last ditch effort, uh, where people talk about that right on the edge of that wind, I know that the setup that I set up the last final one, cause I'd seen him from distance come, come out of that area and I knew it was going to be a tough wind deal and I had to play it on the edge. He did come out. He started winning and he started even easing a little more of my way to, to you know, to get as much as he could. And I, if he would have took one more step, he probably got a, uh, he'd have got my set and been gone, but I, I just played that one to the T. Um, and, but like I said, he, you know, he was running circles around me the whole year. So I don't, I don't know if, um, <laughs> but that was the thing that, that, that got me that specific, beer so that, um that wind setup seems to be something that you've really fine-tuned yeah and you know we can go into depth about all of that that's um yeah it, it's the most important thing with with hunting so, is uh scent, scent control and wind and things like that so yeah i do want to break that down but i want to i want to first figure out one thing um this buck you just mentioned you said that you were hunting all the way through the season i'm, I'm not sure exactly how which part of the season it was, but I'm assuming it was most of the year. Um, I've heard you talk about that when you find a buck that you want, you start hunting him on October 1st on, on opening day and you stay on him. You just keep getting after and getting after him. And, and what I don't understand is how you can do that without blowing him out of there, without busting your chances. I'm always so worried about, you know, everybody's in, worried about, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Everyone's so worried about that. How do you manage that? Uh, well, you, I mean, it's experience and, it, and it's, you can't, so I've seen it enough. Cause I scout, dude, I've, I scout so much and I, and I take it right to the edge. I get so close to some of these big bucks that you, you take, you take it a little too far and dude, I've literally had it where I've just poking around some, some thickets, some cattails and red brush where I think this thing's going to be in this little mess. And I, I turn to my left and here's this monster freaking staring me. And as soon as we make eye contact, Boom, he's over. He just blows on my face. I knew I should have <laughs> stopped at that freaking tree that I picked out before. I want to poke a little further and a little deeper. And um, sometimes you just take it a little. <laughs> but you you learn. And I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I don't care. I mean, you, guys, you guys can argue up in your mind. I've seen it so many times and done it so many times. You are not going to burn a white tail out of, his, out of his home range. He'll run circles around you. He'll sit tight till dark or he'll know you're hunting. But... Um, 
you're not going to do it. And then we get the guys all the time that too say, well, you know, and, and, and they're right. They got small properties and things of that nature um, that they have to be a little more careful with. So that's, that's probably not a technique for a guy that's got, you know, 10 acres, a hundred or whatever. But uh, I had a pretty substantial lease down in Illinois and I used to have it to myself a lot of times. And I swear to God, them deer would come out. I'd see them come out on a field edge and they'd be fricking looking around like, where's he going to, where's he going to come from, from this time? That's the kind of look that they had on their face. And, but it's their range, uh, and and you know some of these bigger deer, are dominant deer, they're they're the kingpin of their area. Um, you can piss over their scrapes; they're going to piss over you. Uh, they'll see where you're, know where you're sitting in the stand. They'll come and rip that tree that you're in. They're they're sending you a message. You're sending them a message, and it's a it's an it's an enjoying game, man. I'm, <laughs> you're getting me pumped to want to get out there and look around now again here. <laughs> so and I got work to do. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't want to get you in trouble and get you behind on orders or anything. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. So much of what you're doing is is just getting aggressive with that scouting and pinpointing exactly what they're doing, and then you're adjusting, and then search more than adjust. But what does that look like just prior to the season? So I'm just trying to like ease our way into October 1st and opening day. What do you? When does that scouting start? It's it's totally different if it's a whole new property that I would be attacking, or if it's a property. This is a property I know inside now, right? So. I just need to know now, my biggest thing right now, and I haven't done it, I need to get more cameras out and I need to get spread out more and I need to get a glimpse that this deer is back this year. And if he's back, then from what I know about him from last year, or I know he bedded last year and his whole um, 
this whole scenario, I don't have to get as crazy as I, I would to go in, you know, aggressively. I've already learned this piece of property. If this is a new piece of property, I'd want to learn a piece of property inside now because I cannot stand, like I said, sitting in a tree stand and not knowing what is over that next hill and what's over the next hill there. I got this, this mind that just is um, mechanical and that I need to have all of that puzzle or pieces to start putting together. So um, I don't go in, you know, if you're going to go in a handful of pieces of puzzle and, and I just, in my mind, it just won't work. So, and the other thing I say too, with this, uh, I look at things different than other people for you to just jump in and try and do what I do. If you don't know how to read or um, perceive, uh, I'm getting to the point now where, uh, you know, they said, you, you know, you, you need to be, reading that sign and getting there, you need to be in the spot that sign's going to be made next and ahead of that game, not like one step behind. Um, so coming up all the way, reading sign, you know, I see a fresh track. I get on it right away. It seems like to me, if you, if you see something, you pounce on it right away. You don't ever want to sit because in two days it changes up. So if you're right there, right there, right there, you're in your best scenario. Um, but imagine now being able to know enough that, the season's changing. The crops are coming down. It's a different stage of the rut. You just start going and looking. You're going to be where that deer is going to be making his next sign. You're already a step ahead of him. Um, and when you get into that state of the game, I mean, your um, your chances go up. Um, now, is that just experience that gets you from the point where wow. you're hunting, you know, week old sign to now predicting where sign's going to be? Is that just time? Yeah, yeah. it's just from years and years of. Uh, like I said, I still enjoy to this day looking around and. Um, uh, I did it again last year. There was one here and Darren was getting killed by a neighbor, but uh, a couple of years ago where I was doing on the phone with a friend of mine and I'm sitting in the stand and I know, and, it, and it's like, you know, this is, it's a phenomenal spot. It's usually a phenomenal spot. And it's like, man, it's just not happening. I got to get, get down and just over the frick, just like I talked about, just over the hill, there was a freaking party going on. There was a dull and heat in there and that buck was in there chasing around. I could, I, could, I almost shot that thing. If I'd have been a good shot a long distance, I could have shot the thing on the ground. It was not leaving that doe's side. I tried to make a move to another stand where they were going through, and they just got around me, and it was like – and I was sitting for two days there in a deep, in an excellent spot, actually. And, you know, if I would have poked around a little bit more than I um, – like I normally do, I probably would have been over the hill sitting and, and got my opportunity out of a stand. So it's just – you know, and that changes. And then that doe goes uh, out of heat or whatever. He chases across the road or he goes to some other doe. And it's, you know, you're not going to see that buck for another who knows when until late season, you know. So um, get on it while it's hot. Stay on it while it's hot. Don't ever backpedal. Uh, the biggest thing in the uh, uh, tragedy I've ever seen is people saying that they don't want to overhunt a stand, that it's, they don't want to screw it up. Or, you know what it is? It's the feel of, fear of failure. And I've failed so many freaking times at this. And, if you're going to sit and you're going to worry about bumping that deer and messing up. And that's what we've all been taught that dude from all the articles, from all the years, you know, yeah. leave the sanctuary, do this, uh, do that. And I've just from experience learned it is totally not that way. Um, and you know, some guys could still argue it to this day, but, um, I watch, you know, I, I, I hunt bedding areas. I'm seeing big bucks sit down in their beds, come out of there. I'm watching, you know, Groups of coyotes running them off their bedding areas and turning right around, coming back right to the same bed. I'm watching, you know, myself bumping them out and I'm coming right back to the bed. So I don't know where all that stuff came from, but my, I believe everything my eyes tell me and not what anybody, um, you know, not what I hear or anybody else tells me. So 
Yeah, that's the that's the tough thing for so many people is is everything they know is from somebody else, at least until they have 10, 15 years of their own experience to finally start pointing back on, you know? Yeah. And you know, guys are, these guys that we got on our, our, our crew, it's, it's, it's funny. And, and I had guys tell me, you know, um, they look at me to be a big, serious hunter and they like, why do you pay so much attention to what, you know, what I'm saying? I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm not having it. Well, your little failures or what you're doing are all little pieces of information that I can get and learn. And I can maybe tell you something on, or, um, I'm not, you know, I think still think you can teach an old dog, you know, new tricks, but, um, my mind is just that way. I could never, ever have enough information or, um, pieces of puzzle or, um, it's, it's, it's my, <laughs> it's a blessing, I guess. And it's a curse. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you insomniac every night. Uh, all my best ideas come at three in the morning. Um, I, I think about them, they pop in my head and I write them down. So it's, um, and a deer too, these deer I'm thinking, I literally am sitting, sit, I will sit here and think about a, a deer, a fawn that's on this property. And just imagining if that's, that's the one in five years, mm-hmm. is he going to be here? Is he going to make it? The coyote's going to get him. You know, is he going to? Uh, he'll, he'll leave, you know, at two and a half for a couple of years. Will you make it back? Somebody kill him. And all these things that just, you know, you can't get that out of your head. Uh, it's been just a, it, it's, it, <laughs> I'd like to turn it off if I could for at least one minute. Um, I but got, I can't, uh, I got, I got to believe there's a lot of people listening right now that feel a little bit better knowing that, uh, they're not the only one going crazy for white tails sitting up late at night. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a bug that's, uh, the bug you get bit by and you can never, you can never get that first high back, man. You just keep chasing it and chasing it. And, um, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, I've seen some guys as crazy and crazier as me. And, uh, and getting back to that too, somebody, so everybody settles into what works for them too. So, I mean, there's guys that are successful rattling guys, successful calling. Uh, I come from a big high pressured area. Um, my success came from laying low and, even though I, I'd have this chaos and I mess everything up and stir it all up, I'm in a spot that's virgin that hasn't been messed up that I read the sign and I'm capturing that little moment in time where, you know, I might've messed it up for everybody else in the freaking 40, but I'm on the, I will be on that, that deer. And I mean, it's almost, it got scary after a while. I could walk up and down a field edge and I was a big field edge hunter in the, uh, in that bigger North country years ago where the, you'd have vast, um, timber land bordering up against some dairy farms. So some of them deer would come out. So we'd shine late at night and there'd be deer nobody ever killed. You never see you going to where the hell is that, you know, to live in. You never see them on pulse, but that thing could be coming from five miles back in the um, cedar swamps and then coming to the milk or clover fields feeding in the middle of the night. And uh, so I have an opportunity to see a lot of that, but I could walk up and down a field, read the sign and almost a hundred percent be on a decent buck and be able to kill it just about every freaking time, which you know, I, I think that's some kind of knack that I <laughs> got to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, I can do it now. And I, and, and it's weird. Even good friends used to think that I was lying to them. Uh, I had a buddy that filled up in Illinois once and I said, why the hell did you shoot that buck? There's just monsters everywhere on here. And he said, well, this is a, a decent buck. And I said, well, it's really not for here. I said, well, I, I lost it in the sun. So I took it down. It was a nice bucket. So he, he filled up early and I felt sorry that you just have to burn a whole week sitting there. So I'll grab the camera and you can follow me around then. We went and scouted four new sits on that property. 
I could have shot four different bucks over one sixty, and if the last sit on an evening post on a pond, I could have shot a hundred and seventy-four inch nine point. It came by us to the pond, drank. Came by, I went to full draw on it, you videoed it, and he's like, what the frick was wrong with that? I said, there's a 12-point typical on this property. That's what I'm here for, and that's what I want. And I know it was 174 because the neighbor shot him shotgun season, uh, and it scored that. So we were in the camp, too, and I was telling a few other guys every day I was coming in and saying, yeah, I've seen this, and I've seen that. And somebody got smart, you know, and said, yeah, right, what do you see this? What, what do you see today? Uh, you know, this and that as well. No, you know. Four bucks over one fifty, and uh, and and this one here, and he put he put it in the, <laughs> the old VCR and the in the TV, and all the guys are looking with their jaws dropped. Nobody's seeing nothing, um, but they're sitting in a stand that maybe an outfitter put up that was set up for the rut. Um, you know, all this going on all around them, and they're, and they're stuck in one spot. And and I'm not like that, so uh, and I've been like that from little on. You know, you you go at it aggressive. You, it's hunting, hunt them down. You know, it's not sitting there waiting for them to kill them. So. Yeah, I want to I want to dissect what you mean by hunt him down like that. So can you walk me through literally like let's say you you hunt somewhere October 1st opening day and you don't kill your buck that night. When you say that you're going to start scouting like literally the next day, are you walking around? Where do you walk around? What are you thinking about? Like, Give me the exact details. My methodical annihilation of, of a property once you know, once you learn it, I do a perimeter check. I read everything going in and out of there, and then I can go in and dissect the inside of it. I learn the property. If I already learned that or I have that and I'm hunting, I will be in my post in the morning. I will sit, and, and many a times I get down way too early because I'm so anxious and wanting to go poke around and look at look at new signs and work them back a little further. So I'll be in my stand. When I get down in the morning, I'm fresh. Uh, I haven't been sweated up. Haven't been at a restaurant. All my clothes are clean, everything. Now I get down and I do some looking around. And then I pick my next spot. I'll pick a spot maybe for a, uh, uh, that I'll actually hunt on a morning and evening um, spot. And then I'll hunt that and I'll get down and look around. It's a daily, daily grind. Unless you think you got him pinned down and he's coming out of a certain draw every day. And it's a matter of just tying into him. Then you kind of leave it alone, but you got to, things are, things change up. You know, and October is a tough, a tough time to hunt. Things are touchy. Sense control is very, very difficult then. And um, I just enjoy hunting. I'll, I'll set up on a deer bedded and I'll hear him coughing and hacking in that bed uh, from the from before light to when I get down and he never got up and never moves out of it. And according to moon phase, he probably wasn't going to. But I'm a hunter. I'm there. You know, if a coyote bumped him or for some reason, maybe he did decide to get up and stretch and make a move or wind change or whatever. I'm going to be there. I'm not just going to not hunt it. So, um, hunt like a wolf, man, just get on it and just keep, keep on them and, uh, read the sign. And then, uh, and you'll, you will be surprised dude, of, uh, of what you'll find when you, you start poking around <laughs> the grass sometimes is way greener on the other side of the hill. So <laughs> when you say poking around, what do you like? Are you just leaving your tree stand and heading back towards the truck and their house in the general direction and kind of looking here and there, or are you saying, no, 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 I know I mean, there's a bedding area here. I want to look at that, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, forget about going back. If you did go back and get cleaned up, we do that once we find another spot. So right there, in the air, if you're working a buck and you're trying to work them back and maybe he's coming out a little too late. So you're going to try and get closer to bed. So you're going to be, uh, remember I talked about going too far and then, yeah. and then getting a little too close. So you work your way back in and you, 
uh, maybe set up another stand. Then you can go back to the car, grab your stuff, uh, reset up that stand, maybe climb in there in the morning uh, or give it an evening hunt, and then and just keep doing that. You're not going to look for a whole other deer or going to look for a whole other uh, spot. You're kind of... Uh, you're after that one deer and you're trying to figure out on that at that time of year, what he's going to do and where he's going to be. And, um, and, and just keep methodically going after him, you know, and sometimes you got the spot where you don't need to, you're, you're in the right spot. It's going to be a matter of time of him getting up early enough and moving out. Uh, perfect example. That once is, uh, last couple days of, uh, a week of a season, uh, friends of mine, I was hunting a particular piece and the sign was there. The deer, uh, a group of bucks is coming out uh, off some bottoms through this farmland I had onto this golf course, and their tracks were there every day fresh coming through there. Every day coming through there fresh. And they said, well, what are you going to do, burn your the rest of your week? Um, I got the best because the deer I want coming through here. I got a week left. When am I going to go look for some other freaking deer in, in five days? And I held it out and held it out, and I killed one day for who knows what reason. Some people might have bumped them or whatever the hell the deal was. They got up and they moved early and came through, and um, I think that one was one sixty-seven. It was a it was a nice buck, and I I held to my held to my uh, my gun. So, um. man, when you when you talk about you know moving in on this buck you, where he's not moving yet during daylight or not where you're at, so you push in a little farther. What is the sign that you're seeing that? Like, what's the threshold of sign that you have to pass to be like, okay, I need to set up here? Is it the first good rub, or do you have to have a, a ton of fresh rubs? Like, what makes you stop? So you'll see something, uh, you'll go, and, you know, there'll be mediocre sign around there, and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're, you're getting in there and poke around. And, uh, um, like, last year there was uh, huge, fresh, ripped-up uh, rubs already, marking the deer marking his territory off, and I, uh, it was a buck that I didn't, want to chase, but in hindsight, the one I was after might've been running that same circuit. When I, I dove in a little deeper, um, I think it was a week later. I wish I would have dove in a little deeper the first time I seen those rubs because there was a rub line through this property, dude, the size of your waist chest. That thing had this entire interior, just through all this, uh, uh major part of this thing just ripped ahead. And I would, I would have probably liked to got on that a little earlier than I did. Um, but there's the kind of thing that if you sat on a field edge, you know, and this going on like 150 yards in September and you're sitting in there not seeing anything come out every night and that deer's in there rubbing things and, and hanging back or doing whatever the hell he's doing there, you know? So, um, I'm telling you, you get, you look around, you're going to see it. You, you look and you will find they are where they are. Um, just like fishing. I mean, what do you do? Just go beat the freaking water, uh, uh, to a thrift or start pumping shot into a field, hoping to hit a pheasant. Um, Take aim, man. Go find the fish. You know, pattern them and go after them. You know, uh, and if they ain't biting, make them bite. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think about the right way. I wanna, I wanna approach this. I give you um, a perfect example of how, how aggressive a guy could get. So back in the day, when everybody and your brother baiting, everybody thought these big deer are nocturnal. They don't come in. They don't come in because you're you're hunting over your bait. You're shooting everything that comes in there. I could literally go on a property. I can run the whole property, kick every freaking deer up on the property and go jump in the bait that that deer was using. And almost 90% of the time that deer would come in before dark. He got up off his ass and he moved through his normal pattern circuit. Um, I'm doing one man drives 
on big deer. I'm loading up wood lots. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing some aggressive stuff that, you know, in the hands of the wrong guy, it might, you know, it might not work for him. Uh, but I've showed a few other guys to do this and they're, <laughs> uh, don't be doing it while I'm on the same piece of property you're at. You know, I don't want to be the one freaking everything up and then capitalize on it. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, I know a big part of, of, you know, dialing in these deer is, is figuring out where they're bedding. What are you doing? Like, what's the next step to try to dial in exactly where they're bedding? Cause I, you know, I think a lot of hunters have a situation like this where they think, I think this buck is bedding in this swamp somewhere. There's like a five acre area. He's somewhere and I'm pretty sure he's bedding in there. But I think with you, you go more detailed than that, right? Well, I, I do. And I don't. So we have spots on here where there's uh and I, and I went and I walked at, um, walked at, uh, shed hunting this year, um, that these bucks come out of this draw there. Uh, we know they're better just inside there. Cause that's, you know, they'll get up and they'll, they'll come out. We didn't need to go in there and bump monitor and know that. So we know that from experience. So now when I walked in there actually for the first time and looked around, it's like, even if you wanted to go in there, these things are like freaking goats on the side of freaking cliffs and, uh, and rock croppings that you're probably not going to kill that buck right in that bed. But you can kill him in the corridor, and that's what my son, I think, likes to do. He likes to get the corridors coming in and out of that, uh, uh, that bedding area where, um, again, I need that piece of information. It's like in my mind if I see exactly where that buck is bedding. And, and we had a piece um, in Wisconsin that uh, there was there's three bedding areas on this property, one right behind the kennels. Uh, a, a guy had, a, a, like, 10 dogs in there and all the big bucks would bed right up against the, uh, his farmhouse, right back of the kennels. There was one in the, um, uh, the middle of the swamp that I could go off right in there any day, walk right to that tree and knock that big bastard right off there. Um, and then there was a third one was kind of more open on hedgerows where you can see a long way coming. Those big bucks on that property are going to be in one of those, just from years of experience, they're in one of those. When the weekend come around and there's another 10 guys hunting the property, all of them bucks would just run right up against that frickin', uh, that kennel and sit till frickin' pitch dark. And you know who was sitting off of that kennel with about 40 yards and watching them get up when the dog started frickin' barking and howling? It was me. And the one time I screwed up and learned, I, I ended up actually dragging a deer out of there and somebody, one of the guys followed that drag back and started nosing around in there. Wow. <laughs> so I had, so I had to back off a little bit so you wouldn't find that, that sweet spot, but, um, those deer, you know, they get accustomed to whatever the pressure is. And then, um, and I was uh, a little snakier. I would get there and do my scouting and hunting on a Thursday a couple of days before. And then I'd let those guys have all the scraps for the weekend once, once I got, had my way with it. So yeah. um, there's a lot of different things you can do. Um, but you learn that stuff. And once you learn it, you don't, I don't have to go there again. I could set up on, you know, bedding area B, you know, or, uh, um, you know, when they pushed them up against the channels, now there's nobody on the property and they're down maybe in that swamp or hanging down there. Then you, you got to go set up on a spot that's coming off of there. So there's, there's some things that other hunters out there that focus on bedding areas a lot like to point to, to help people like identify this is a buck bedding area. This is a doe bedding area. Um, when you're out there, what are the things that help you differentiate? Is it, is it simply a big rub in a big bed or, or what is it that tells you, okay, this is a buck bedding area? A big, and, and I don't, I hate that terminology, buck bedding area. A buck, uh, I've said this a million times, a buck's bedding area is where it's bedding. It's going to be that, you bump monitor, it could be, in my woods here, um, during late season, it's in the middle of an open hardwoods. 
Uh, during gun season, big, huge bucks. I can look right off my, my porch at a big draw that's there, and I'll watch these slobs just come right up in their bed. They're safe from all the gun hunters. Um, it is where it is. Now, there's areas that once you find them, even if a deer is killed, it seems like the bigger, more mature deer, they're, they're there for a reason. Okay, so where it drives you nuts to try and think of why it is, forget about why it is. Why is it every time I walk through this draw, I jump a huge buck? I mean, a guy, you know, you do it two, three times, four times, you know, some, at some point in time, you got to get in your brain. Now, why don't I hunt this spot here? This freaking deer is always here, you know? Yeah. Uh, and when you find those spots, they're gold. Then you don't have to be, then you can set up on them and stay out of there in the evening hunt, slide in there for only morning hunts when the wind's right. And you think that's going to be a, a good fit. And you got a, a, a awesome, and I got a bunch of spots like that. You got awesome spots to hunt, um, all the time, you know, um, yeah, so go, going back to your, your, your bedding area, if you got a buck that you know is bedding in like a five-acre piece of that swamp, learn where he's coming and out of there. Go look at the tracks. He leaves big tracks behind, you know. Uh, and, and to identify a buck's bed, obviously a, a buck is a big animal. It leaves a big track. It leaves a big frickin' turd behind, and it uh, leaves a little sign of aggression. And stick your frickin' nose in one if you want to smell a buck bed. They smell like shit, um, and those smell sweet. Same thing with the urine. I mean, if you see piss in the frickin' uh, on the grass, take a whiff of it. You can tell a buck from a doe. Um, Are you being serious? It, yeah. Yeah, I'm being serious. It, the doe smells sweet. Wow. Buck, I can smell a frickin' rotten buck from <laughs> from 100 yards away, man. They, and here's another thing that's funny. I I, I I got this huge nose in my face, right? You know what? It works. <laughs> well, and I'm, it's, I joke about it, but I have a more sensitive smelling capability i think than most people do and my wife's like uh, why don't you you know you don't have that shirt's not dirty you know you um you don't need to wash it again if if there's a shirt in my closet that's was not washed i could sniff that son of a bitch on as soon as i open that freaking deal and when i'm walking through the woods i i get senses of uh, uh so if you can picture what a deer would could do with its nose. It's almost like walking into a freaking brick wall. That's how, that's how good they can smell. Um, and you got to get that in your head, um, and learn that. And then that, that'll help you a long ways in this, just chasing around, a, chasing around his white tail. Cause that's a, that's a major, major, um, thing with these gears that they're using that, that nose third advantage all the time. And, um, and I learned to use it myself. Yeah. To my advantage. So, so you, you, you come on a buck or you come on a bed and you, you look at it, you see it's a big impression on the ground. You see there's some big turds. You take a whiff. It's got that bucky smell. What else are you doing? Take, I don't need to take the whiff. I got, I can, I can, I can see it's a buck bed already. So, so that's a, so right now, uh, I was just, so we, we can run minerals here. We run, um, to get inventory and stuff and they're, they're not hitting them this year for is good. And I'm telling my, uh, my buddy, I says, we got this huge, huge buck bed right on the edge of the bean field in the grass, not even going back in the timber. And he ain't a hundred yards from, you know, your mineral and your corn pile there to get a picture of him. And he's not even going over and not acknowledging it. So you want to get a picture of him. You better take your camera and go slide over to where, where he's better or where he's feeding them beans. You got to start changing up and moving around. You know, you got to read that. So if a guy is accustomed to doing this scenario to find inventory every year, this year he's definitely a failure because they're not, for some reason, going to him. I got a theory why they're not this year, but um, I don't know if it's right or not. But um, what is it? Um, 
Well, we got a, an extremely um, high amount of coons again this year, and it seems like every time. And I know they don't they don't really bother them. I've actually seen big whitetail kill raccoons that come to baits late season and stuff. But I think with all that chaos and all that pissing shit on there, and there's so much food from now, they they don't need to be visiting that. They you know that deer seen everything going to that mineral from where he's better right now. He's not that far away down the edge of the field. So um, it could have something to do with that. Or maybe this, this year they don't need the, the minerals as much as they normally do. So there's things that I would love to know the answer to that, but I don't. But I I think I know enough about the outskirts around it to, um, to help me in my endeavors here. So Interesting. The, uh, dialing him back on the bed situation, like what if it's in season, you find a bed, you think it's a buck, uh, are you like some guys will sit in it and think through where am I going to hang a stand right here? I think I've heard you say that on one of the old videos out there. Like, what are the things you're breaking down at that point? Is it okay? So, so at that time of year, I'm not really um, looking for a, a bed per se that there's not a deer in it. I'll be going, and if I bump a deer out of that bed, I'm looking for the spot. I don't know what what bucks in that bed. It might be 130 inch, you know, 250 pound whitetail. Um, so I'm not like a lot of these guys, I guess, looking for, uh, if, if, if you're asking me for guys coming up in, in the state that they're in, I'm going to give a bunch of different answers of what they should be doing versus somebody who's onto where the deer's already bedded or onto this buck. Um, um, I'm not out looking for new, you know, new, new buck beds or new spots. I already know where this buck's bedded and I'm, I'm going after him, you know? So, right. I'm kind of curious about both. Yeah, so both as far as what? So if you wanted, if you were going to find uh, um, a a buck's bed, then you think you just bumped them out of there, or you just think you're wandering around and you, you you came upon one, you know, you know where one's at. Yeah, I'm wondering. In, you, you, know. Have, you know, most guys have the tools, I would think, to see where that bed's at, look at the lay of the land, and check out the wind, and then figure out a spot to set a stand for when he's coming back. Correct. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, so you, what you might do is you might spend a lot of time and effort and do that. And you might end up with a buck that you don't want. Same with scrapes. You know, I can sit, there's so many scrapes on, I can sit scrapes all day long. But what if the deer that you're after is not working that scrape? Do you want to go waste a day sitting on a scrape that's got maybe four 140s coming through that are working it that, you know, your buck's not even, um, he's on that. So um, I guess I'm in a different state than where, where more, I got to know, like I said, I, I got to have all the pieces of information. I don't like to do shit blind. Um, and even these stands we got, we got phenomenal stands that are just, they're in right spots and they'll light up for short in time or they'll be great. I cannot stand just going and jumping in one of those without looking at the sign there first. I'll be up in that tree and I'll be just like thinking to myself, is it not even hot here yet? Or it's, you know what I mean? It just, it just drives me wild. I got to go there and literally physically check the trails again and I'll, almost like checking traps. Um, and there's spots too that I have on like that too. I'll go and I'll, uh, they, they get. I'll check a, a primary scrape and I'll watch it. It'll get nicked up a little bit. There'll going to be some branches chewed up a little bit. And then I'll check it like four days later. And then the, the little nick up's a little more aggressive. And then all of a sudden I'll check it, you know, a couple days later and some branches are broken off it. And I'll come in one day and a son of a bitch is just demolished. And then I learned on that spot, cause I was, I would hunt that, that area. And I would not see shit until that tree got demolished. Then I learned that over the years, right? I'd dive in there, and them big, that big son of a bitch would be up <laughs> running, you know, daylight hours, just aggressive as hell, and it was the timing was right, time to do it, you know? 
uh, over the years, I got a little more advanced for now. I could go sneak up to where he was held up. I call it a staging area um, where that deer will hang out. He might get up before dark, but they'll just, they'll just hang out there. No spots you can find. Um, they're usually in grassy, marshy areas. There'll be some worn out dead grass there. You can almost see like where two bucks might be sparring there. And they'll get up out of their beds and they'll stay there till pitch dark and then move out. Um, you know, if there's too much pressure, if you're on public or whatever. So, but like I said, over time and over the years, as you, you absorb all that stuff, you can, um, it just reads like it's almost written, written ink on a sign there to me. And, and, and some guys will just not, not see it. I got some pretty advanced hunters too that I try and teach wind and thermal food and they just, they just don't freaking get it. And they probably never will. I'm just sorry to say. So, um, I know that back in the day when it came to using trail cameras, you had just focused on using them for inventory during the summer, but I think you're using them more now recently. Is that right? Like, how are you using cameras in season to help you fine tune this scouting portion to dial in so you know that that scrape isn't just a couple one forties? It's it's the buck, right? It's I gotta say it. I got a, I got a trail camera myself, so um, it kind of is a really unfair advantage. Okay, so I explained to guys that years ago, everybody would be in church. I'd be freaking in a swamp before the season, up to my chest, literally glassing huge marshes for a week before the season. Man, nobody, you know, nobody did that. Nobody had the yeah. wherewithal or the, the gumption to do it. Now a guy could go slap a freaking camera in and do all what I did, all weeks of work and have it in, in two minutes, okay? So again, it's a tool. I use it. It's, it's, it's a valuable tool. Um, but I got so frustrated with them that I just got pissed off that it's like, why am I going through all this work? And the you know, half these cameras are scaring deer. I can't see what the hell's in the picture. And I'm like, fricking, dude, I went and spent a lot of money to do a camera because I got, got sick of wasting my time with them. Um, dude, there was a deer on this property that had the biggest whitetail track I've probably seen. Never got a, a glimpse of them. And, um, and it was in the snow. It was a scrape. And I had set a camera. I seen that track going through there. And I finally uh, went up there and I seen the track go through. And I got, I got the snow bitch. I'm going to see what the frick this thing has got on its head finally, you know? Uh, I think I got from the neck down. I got so freaking hot. I took that camera and just rifled it at the freaking club. The it blew into a million pieces. And I'm like, I'm done with this shit. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if the stick behind it sagged or whatever the hell it was, but I, I said, this, I can't take it anymore. You know, it's, this is painful. So, um, if I'm going to use a piece of equipment, I want it to work. Right. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's a great tool, but, uh, you gotta be careful cause, um, you know, especially a lot of cells and all that, you can get too much in there, too much human intervention, especially during the season. A deer in velvet is a different animal than a deer in hard horn. Um, a deer on a, on a, on a mineral or a, a bait site is a different animal than one that's kind of back in the wild and, and, and back in the game. So, um, you don't want to, uh, oh, the one kid was setting his camera and, um, and I think another guy was saying, he's like, hey, I hunt your property anymore because this, this kid is up and down checking his camera every freaking day up and down the hole. I mean, you're just, you're leaving your scent in, you're, you're, you know, the deer are patterning you. You got to be smart about it. You know, put it on maybe a plot watcher, get way back and watch the whole thing and, and stay away from that intimate spot that you need to do your ambush, you know. So, um, but I think it's a valuable tool. It, it really is. And it's, uh, uh, like I said, it's, it's it's as uh, it's as valuable as, as their standing beans late season <laughs> to me. They're they're both you know 
criminally freaking great to, to use, and uh, um, they give you an advantage. So, Not that a deer ain't got a big advantage over you to start with, right? Yes, they, they definitely have got the uh, they got the leg up on us in most cases. But uh, with these cameras, do you kind of set them in some low impact places and let them just be there all year, or do you move them throughout the season and get zeroed in closer and closer to where you think a buck is and kind of close in on a buck in a way? So I, I we set them on uh, um, a lot on scrapes now during during the season. And then areas where the scrapes have from a distance kind of a way where, where deer will funnel through. Um, so if something comes through there, even you get anything that hits the scrape and you get a whole area of deer moving through that area. Uh, I used them all last year. It did not have any problems. You can watch my show. It just aired uh, uh, the other day. And I think they'll show you some video of whitetail on, on these scrapes during the season that are phenomenal. Cody literally used cameras to chase the big buck down last year. And he didn't, he didn't get the deer, but dude, he got onto it or close to it like seven different times, which I don't even know if I'm good enough to get onto a big deer that many times. And normally I'm like, if I'm pushing, if I get an opportunity or, or close a third time to figure something out and beat her, I'm, I'm lucky as hell. So, um, and he even actually said the deer that I shot, he had on camera. He said, before I even shot, he said, that I think that damn deer left his side of the road. Now he's on, he's on the other side. And that morning I said, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> he went on my side of the road and he came through the draws and he's, he's done. So and he's dead. <laughs> uh, but but we got some things we did, dude. That, that these you watch, you're gonna see world class deer looking into that camera and not even you know they know something's there. I mean they're not gonna hide, um, but it's it's not bothering them, um, and it's it's a pretty pretty good deal to to be able to have that. Where uh, a lot of the other ones I had that because to look at that thing and run. Uh, if you put it on video mode, you can watch them with their asses in the air and their tails just freaking heading heading to the uh, to the hill. So. Um, you just got to be careful. You know what it is? Common sense. You know, guys, start using a little more. Uh, my teacher told me you're not the brightest uh, uh, bulb here, he says, but I think someone puts you in line 10 different times for common sense. You got more common sense than this whole class combined. So, <laughs> um, and I don't know if that's, again, just the way my mind works in that area. Um, but get me to spell something or I do a little arithmetic. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of lost, brother. <laughs> we've, we've all got our things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's what I'm still one of the things that I I keep on wondering about. You, you've got you've got these cameras on scrapes. You are out there poking around, scouting sometimes daily. It sounds like going out there looking, searching, moving in. How do you do that and not push that deer to be more nocturnal? Or how do you not push that deer to be doing a different thing tomorrow because you walk through today? At that time of that year, I'm going to tell you right now, they don't, they don't give a shit if you're a human. What's going on? That deer. Um, a lot of times does not give a shit what you're doing, what you're, he's concentrated on those going to heat and following them. And when you, when you read that sign that that happens, when, um, when all of a sudden, uh, you'll have a trail coming up across a ridge or something, and it's got huge polished fricking red hot fricking uh, rubs. That's a doe going into heat. And she's got four days before she'll be bred. When you see that sign, you get on that and you get on it right away. And that deer don't give a shit, even if you're there. He's going to still go up that draw, follow that door no matter what. Like I told you, if I could have arranged or knew the range that there was at or I had the ability to shoot that deer, I think that deer was at 45 yards. That deer was standing in open field staring at me, and I was watching that doe right on the edge of the woods standing there. He wasn't leaving that doe's side. He didn't give a shit I was standing there staring at him. If I could have took a poke, 
and, and hit that deer, I could have killed him off the ground probably, but um, that's a killable deer. That deer earlier in the year, man, you got to tiptoe around or, you know, make sure you don't get too aggressive in this spot or that stuff. He's playing the game. He knows you're there. He's just going to run circles around you. So, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so when in Rome, you know, take that season, you know, you kind of, uh, don't bust in like a freaking bone of trying to cabin to start with. You can stay from distance, field edge hunt, look, you know, then as it gets in October, it gets tougher. The only time, and I've had a whole season where I talked to guys that were, did other shows. All their guys were not seeing shit. It went dead in October, um, big time that year. And I was seeing fricking nice, mature deer every fricking day. The difference was I was fricking crawling right up their asses and right in the beds with them. And they weren't going out of them bedding areas. They would get up, mill 20 yards around a little bit, eat a little bit, plop back down. They were staying put there. And if you weren't there, you could be 40, 50 yards away, and you were out of the game, man. And those guys were all hunting, you know, uh, probably their normal spots or funnels or whatever, and they didn't miss the whole boat, you know. So yeah. So you're 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 taking it a little bit easier in the early season, but once you're getting some point in October, you start pushing into those bedding areas. I think I saw somewhere that well, you're, you're easing it kind of when you can get aggressive is when that gets toward that uh, that little pre-rut when them doles are, you know, getting close to coming in and there's competition. Um, man, I had deer that would that get down one of me and smell me and just beat the frick out of a tree that knew it was me after him and just sending me a sign. Like, you know, you're in my house now, yeah. you Do know, and, and, and I guess maybe a lot of guys aren't experiencing that cause they're not hunting maybe that caliber or that dominant deer in there. I don't, I don't know. You know, you're, um, if you're just sitting in the woods hoping that the, a buck would come by, I mean, that, I would think that'd be pretty easy to capitalize on that, you know? Yeah. So, so what about like you're doing this, you're aggressively pushing in there, finding them. Do you ever, is there ever a situation where you say, Oh, you know what? I got to back out of here and give it time or no, it's time to give up on this deer. Or do you just search and search, push and push and push? Uh, I never give up on the deer. Um, And again, you know, with my mentality, I don't, I'll bump a deer. I don't mind bumping a deer. I think I, I learned that too from a property I had that was so overrun with deer. You could not get to your stand or walk anywhere without jumping deer. Um, go to your scouted spot. Don't worry about everything else around you. Concentrate on, you know, the, the job at hand, go after that deer and be concerned about that and not like everything else. Um, now, obviously you don't want to be running, through your entire property with a bike and blowing everything out everywhere and just getting, um, um, everything chaotic. Then, you know, then you got a bunch of eyes and ears. Uh, so on the ambush, you know, the way in and the way out, once you pick your spot, get in there, hunt it and get out and, um, you'll do fine. Just think about how many, I said that on another, I think a little podcast about a guy. Think of how many trees that dead deer goes by and on a daily basis that you could have a tree stand in. And, and, and I think to myself, you can't pick one of them without all those woods out there. <laughs> There's something freaking wrong. Um, you might be on the right tree, but the deer might be coming an hour after dark about going by that one. Or, um, you know what I mean? It's, or maybe you fiddling around in your stand, freaking, you know, texting or whatever the hell you're doing. The deer spotted a, you know, a glare or your noise or, <laughs> Um, uh-huh. I did do a checkup on a buddy once that I put him in a spot that was so red hot. He just wanted to fill a doe tag and he, he wasn't seeing a deer. I said, there's absolutely, you're a liar. I said, there's no way you, you cannot see a deer in here. 
there's hundreds of them. You're sitting on a freaking bait. Um, so I went and glassed this guy from, from a distance away. I'm like standing up, turning around, looking around. I'm like, what the frick are you? <laughs> and then, uh, so I'm watching him. I'm doing that, right? Then I'm watching way out in the marsh, a whole group of does, all standing there like me, watching him doing the same <laughs> shit. And I'm like, son of a bitch, this is, this is comical. Somebody should have this on video, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny, though, but I mean, it's sad, but it's funny. Yeah. Um, so is that what's going on in the, in the, in the guy's woods? I don't know. Um, but look at some of these other guys. Look at the talent that's out there now that have learned – um, and I've seen these guys grow and man, they're killing freaking machines. Now they've, they've all of a sudden that, I don't know what it is. What is that? You asked me about that aha moment when that light bulb comes off that, yeah. and I can't put my, my finger on it, but it's, uh, um, apparently the light bulb goes off for a lot of guys. And once they figure it out, they're, you know, they're getting it done. And, and here's another thing. So we got this new page too, and I'm, I'm really worried about What's great is all of these guys are opening up to new guys coming up. And the last thing I want, I mean, it is intimidating to be around a guy shooting a caliber deer that they're killing consistently. None of them guys started out killing big deer. They were all freaking right where everybody is starting out today. And I would think that somebody, and, and I noticed talking at, at shows in my generations, I don't think we were that smart of a generation to tell you the truth. And I always like, gave a little stab at the next generation. They're kind of pussies and they're, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. but they're pretty educated, smart, freaking kids. And that, when I, when I talked to them at shows, a lot of these guys had counted sense and they got it. And years ago I talked to guys the same way and they just wouldn't get it. So I think there's, uh, they got what it takes. Maybe they learn a little bit of tip here and there, and then they perfect that, uh, um, their style to their own and they sign man. And somebody's, you know, somebody's didn't sign big. So, um, you know, it's, it's funny you, you mentioned that and, and I was kind of thinking about this myself, trying to think about, you know, what I've seen and heard about you doing and then what I've seen and heard about other guys doing that, that have hunted with you or learned from you and trying to figure out like, what's one of the, what are the consistent things here? And one of the things I think maybe underlies everything is something you mentioned just a little while ago, which is getting rid of that feel of fear of failure. Once you get past that worry about, Oh, I'm going to screw it up. And you just start going for it. That seems to be something that you've got. And Justin Hollinsworth got, and Adam Hayes has got, and, and whoever, um, yeah. that kind Adam's of a more, a more methodical type of hunter. He's a strategic sit back and watch too. He'll, he'll do a little more observing. He's a, he's a different type of guy, but don't, don't get me wrong. When he sees, he sees the opportunity, he gets right in there and gets it done. But, um, so that's a different style. And Justin, again, he's, he's kind of been like, right, right to me. He's as, he's as aggressive as he gets now too. Um, but yeah, everybody gets in that little, um, finds their little niche and takes that, uh, I'm going to tell you that the big thing though, what all of these guys got in, in common is nobody anymore parks their ass in a stand for the entire season and just worries about over hunting it and not hunting it. These guys get their equipment and they go after it. Yeah. And like I said, if, if you seen what I seen where you couldn't burn a whitetail out of his habitat, that's all you're doing is messing that thing up for day. Now you messed that spot up in that area. So back up a little bit. Um, you'll see a video that I had one, one day that I, uh, I shot and actually hit a deer. Um, 
and because of the time of the year was, I know he'd be coming through working them scrapes again. I changed my stand up literally not more than 25 yards. That son of a bitch came through again, looked up in that stand. Nobody was there, came through again. And I just killed the bastard. Um, he just, you know what I mean? He's going to do what he's doing. I know what he's doing. Um, I'm not going away. Um, so yeah, I, I think, uh, the aggression, like I said, I think my son's got, uh, that tenfold. He's, he's got even a little more. So, and some of these other guys, like you said, Justin, and few, uh, just watch all these addiction shows. Watch what some of these guys do. Look at Heath. Talk about a stealthy freaking move, slipping in the back door, man, checking it out and, and setting up. Just that is what I call a surgically removed white tail from the face of the earth, man. It was all nothing luck about it. Everything skill, a hunter going with his tools and equipment and, and, and taking down a pretty impressive, uh, pretty smart animals too. I would think, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was a slick move when he put when I think you're talking about when he went and timed when he thought that buck was going to leave his bed in the afternoon yeah. and then snuck in there behind him. That was yeah. that was impressive. Um, if we're talking about this aggressive stuff, though, we have to get into the details of what a lot of people think of as the most aggressive tactic, which you've I think popularized and people kind of look to you as the one who kind of first started doing this thing, which of course is the bump and dump. Um, yeah. You've talked about bumping a buck. We've talked about a couple of different things that you're thinking about when you bump a buck. But tell me about the situation where you bump him and then you're saying, all right, now I'm going to set up to to hunt him. How do you pull off the dump part after the bumping? Okay, so I don't think it sounds like an aggressive move, but to scout out an area and jump a deer out of his bed, I don't think that's a real, really aggressive just on that, on that own. Anyhow, so I'll just put that out there. So... Um, that deer got bumped out of there. Uh, I almost think like I, I mentioned this before that it almost shores up that that deer got bumped. He got out of there without getting, uh, um, you know, hurt or taken. And he, he's, it shores up that, that, that piece that he has figured out or his bed works for him. So the, so deer, the buck feels um, better about that bed now. Cause it just proved he, to him he that knows, he was right. The re- dude, the reason those deer are where they are is because you cannot get the one up them. And I'm yeah. not talking you as a person. I'm talking about, um, for example, there's uh, you can watch the Firebuck show where dogs literally, uh, farm dogs all running deer all over there all the time, ran that buck out of that bed, and that son of a bitch came right back to that same bed the next day to bed net, okay? Um, if that was a person, it would be the same shit. It, you bumped me out of my bed. I got away. I'm coming back. This is a perfect spot for me. Uh, who knows? Maybe those those dogs were chasing that deer for three days in a row, and he's and he's he sees them coming before they see where he's at. They dumped on a little bit low out of his sight. He bugs out of there, and they and they chase him around some more. But it's uh, um, it's a great spot. It works for a deer, and I think that's why those big deer are there. Now, here's where it comes. Uh, there are beds that are good on knobs for all different wind directions where a deer can enter um, and set up. And there are other spots that are only good for certain wind directions. So if you're going to do a bump and do the dump the next morning, I like to pay attention if it's going to be the same wind for the, so if I'm scouting around, I jump a deer, I make a note that, okay, it's a Southwest wind today. If it's going to be Northwest tomorrow or an East, I'm thinking maybe that deer might not be on that spot. He might be on spot B or something, you know? So, um, you can take into account that, that deer prefer to, um, bed certain areas and certain, certain wind conditions. And then you get in there, you've done your damage, right? You screwed up all your, here's where it gets aggressive. Okay. It's the, the two and a four buck. 
I literally was in there. You talk about setting an area up, cut down, trim down trees. It took two hours to freaking set up this, you know, uh, uh, honey locust. Blood from my freaking hands all over the tree and everything. Um, I don't know if I would have waited two days if that deer would have came in the next day and maybe, you know, after getting up out of his bed then and poking around a little bit more, would have sensed some major shit going on and not coming back to that. Or, um, But I was there the next morning for him to, <laughs> to crawl right back in his bed and got it done. So... I would like, I like to do that and get on them quick. And then once I learned that spot, dude, I got that stand already preset. So, you know, after a good rain or it's, uh, the wind direction's right. Oh man, it's, it's so nice to be able to have a phenomenal spot for the morning to, to slide into and hunt instead of, you know, a questionable, um, spot that you're heading in in the morning, you know, cause you know, I don't know if it's for you, but aren't morning spots the toughest ones for most hunters to find for sure. Uh, a, a good morning spot. Definitely seems um, like it. And I would agree. It's easy to get on a field edge and watch stuff coming out or when things get up and go to, you know, through feeding. But um, the time of deer coming back or to get into that, um, um, a lot of times they'll be in there before you get in there or you'll miss that boat. So, How often is the bump and dump for you something you actually proactively go in there to do like i know there's some one situation where you're scouting 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 and you accidentally bump him and then you say okay i'm going to make the best of the situation set up but then the other is when you are thinking to yourself all right today i'm finding this damn buck i'm gonna scout until i bump him like is that a thing you do or is it usually the the, the latter so, no i'll do well both of them i'll do if if i don't know where that buck is at bedded or if i'm scouting a new a lot of these deer that um I didn't particularly go in for that buck to to bed that tuning uh, to to bump the actual tuning for a buck. I was doing scouting to go hunt for him and jumped him out of his bed to learn where he was actually at. That's I think I don't know for me probably the most important piece of information a, a bull hunter could have is um, knowing where a deer beds and then uh, take into account. Uh, I don't know. Like, people talked about the spokes on a wheel. Um, how close you can get to that to see, do you, have you ever heard about the three day cycle deer on a three day cycle that, you know, every third day, maybe I'll see that buck come through. Um, I've heard some things like that. Is that something you've seen to be true? Well, that was big years ago. Yeah, there, there is, there's a three day cycle off the hub of that wheel, but there's a one day cycle. If you're freaking in close enough and tight enough where he's bedded, you're going to see that deer just about every freaking day coming out of there. If you're off on that tangent and today he decides to go run this side of the farm to look for some does, and then tomorrow he runs off the total opposite side of the farm. Uh, yeah. And it's three days before he gets back to that same one. You're sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And all of a sudden the third day there he is again, there's a spot in there. That's an everyday cycle. Um, that's where I'm kind of honing in on and trying to get closest to it. Um, Dude, there's nothing more empowering about sitting in a tree stand and watching a slob just get right up out of his bed <laughs> and, and, uh, and not even have a clue you're freaking there. It's, it's, uh, um, it's pretty phenomenal. And there's, it's fun to watch them crawl back into their bed and see what they do too. Um, and a lot of guys know that too, but all these bucks that crawl back into their beds and, and bed up in the, initially in the morning, they seem to be always, you want to stick around a little longer because they always seem to get up and re situate or reposition a little bit um a little later too so uh and that's what i count on in that october is they're they're in there they're in their bedding area they're really not on a move but they are up and doing a little bit of movement something you know something could get them um close enough i don't know how many times i've climbed out of trees 
uh, with huge bucks better within 50 yards of me and they didn't even have a freaking clue I was even there and just got the hell out, you know, so. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Uh, so we got to break down how you actually choose then the spot to set up. So you bump the buck out of there. You saw him run off. And let me take one step back. I'm assuming when you go in to purposefully bump a deer that you're doing this with the wind in your face, so the wind's got. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. Is that true or no? Also, I, I really don't have because the, the train you can't keep. And same with you know people talking about the way deer move. You you can't keep the wind in your face the whole time and and, and get to it. You go through methodically. You got to pay attention. See, most of us when we go scout, our eyes are pinned to the ground looking for tracks, and you got to get accustomed to being able to do a little of that. But um, you got to you got to be looking up and getting a glimpse of that. The worst thing in the world I, I, I hate is when I jump a deer and I don't get a glimpse of his rack. I mean, I hear big cage smashing through and I don't, I don't know which one it was or if, you know, I didn't get a good enough look at it. Um, so you got to accustom yourself to it a little bit, but you're never going to be able to just constantly do the old wind in the face. And uh, so just cover a lot of ground where you think the deer might be better. You're, you're scouting, you're poking around. Uh, now all of a sudden you bump them off a flat, right? Okay, it's a big flat. Barry is better on that flat. Now you just, you got that bed. If he comes back to that bed, you got to be able to shoot. I like to. Some people will pick the, the spot that they scout uh, a little bit coming into that. Like, Cody, I want to be able to 
pick that spot, but still want to be able to hit that bed. The same with scrapes. You know, people set up downwind to scrapes. Uh, when I used to do that, I read them articles years ago or heard everybody talking about it. I would sit downwind in the scrapes and I'd watch a buck come in from the total opposite way, work the scrape and leave without me able to get an arrow in it. So I want to be able to <laughs> shoot the scrape and I want to be able to shoot the bed. So uh, wind direction, you know, you know what it's going to be next day. You're in there now. He's out of there. You can set up your stand and you can slide in um, and get in there the next morning and be and be set and be in for a good good hunt. So you're downwind of the bed. You're within shooting range of the bed. Talk to well, him. no, not 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 downwind. It, 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 you want to be where that deer, wherever he's coming in, can't smell you. Now remember that deer is going to most of the time they're going to do a, like a J hook into that bed. Yep. They're going to loop down around and then get that wind coming in their face. And if you're on the wrong side of that bed, even though you're downwind, um, he's going to get you and he's going to bug out. So you know you're taking the educated guess or you're going to look at the sign and read it where you think he's going to enter and then you just strategically make sure that he just can't get your win and the thing i love about uh mornings too i know guys hate mornings they hate getting them up but man you're you got thermals all coming up um i just think it's such you got worn out deer from running around all night you know chasing or whatever i don't know i think it's some of the best time to kill killing really big deer is uh on morning post you know getting back into there in that october so yeah, you talked about those thermals, um, and then also trying to get downwind of where a buck's going to J hook in there, and, and that all leads me to just trying to better understand your thoughts around setting up with wind. I know that you talk about trying to find these bulletproof sets. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're not big. I on got s- a few, man. They're <laughs> invisible. Any any direction, any way. That's it's, uh, and I know they're bulletproof because I'll have adult coyotes get downwind to me and not even have a clue that I'm there. So, you know, something's going on, um, with the draft of the wind, the way it's being taken out of there. Um, and that'll come from experience. And a lot of times the experience is what sucks is that first time in you're taking a gamble that you got this all figured out. Right. And you may sit that stand and the winds and the thermals might do some, some goofy stuff that, um, that you didn't anticipate. And then you, all that time you took to set up that stand all real nice. And it's in the wrong spot. And now you got to readjust it. So it ain't like I just get this shit, you know, 100% um, right every time. Uh, but by doing that and learning that, I think I got a pretty good idea of, uh, I always think of it this way. If you want to think of where you'd want your scent to go more or less than um, where you'd love to be sitting and have that scent to go and, and kind of think of it almost like you're banking, you know, pool game or something. Um, you're thinking a little deeper into then um, what could happen. Um, cause dude, you can be, you can have the wind right for you. And I've had deer, uh, in the big woods and big pines and all that literally win me from a direction. You'd say there's absolutely no way in hell that deer got my scent and bugged out of there. And then all of a sudden, uh, I always tell that story that one day it started snowing and I watched the snow coming by me where I'm at the right way. Then I watched it hit an opening in the pines and go the other way and all snow's going the op, you know, down that draw. And then it, another opening took the snow and went, it did a big J hook right to where that deer was standing. I said, no, now I, now I figured out why that son of a bitch, he did, he did send me. There's no way I could have known that or, um, back then. Anyhow, I, that's how I learned it. You know, I think about that stuff now. Um, Christ, I think about my scent bouncing off the tree. I'm in getting on the right position that it would hit the tree and wrap around it to the left more than the right, just to throw that scent, you know, a little different direction. So, um, 
can you can you think of any example of some sets like this where you have you know created or found a bulletproof set? Can you describe something like that? Because I feel like yeah. this is one of those things that people hear about, but it's hard to yeah. pick so out hill in person. Country, right? uh, so you got some hill countries where you got uh, uh, maybe you're on the top of knobs. So I've hunted a lot of elk too in my past, so I've kind of learned um, a lot of that from from hunting elk, but. So you got a wind direction coming uh, that you're set up for on a knob. Then you got a hill behind you that has thermals coming up. And as those thermals come up the hill, they're running into the wind direction coming across the top, and they create a, a chimney effect. And you have another hill to your left that the thermals are coming up, and you got another one to the right, and all of a sudden you got all this soft trap coming up, and you got one scent blowing it off. And I can get deer downwind to me, the right of me, the left of me, and they just don't have a freaking clue. And here's the thing, this, this, all the shit with sun control and all that is great to be good hygiene and all that, but there is nothing you can do to beat a, a whitetail's nose. If he starts sniffing for you, he's going to find you. So the only way to beat a big whitetail's nose is that absolutely no scent coming off your body is getting to where he's at. And that's all got to do with the wind direction and thermals. It doesn't have to do with your, your suits and what you're washing with. Um, yeah, you can get away with maybe a little bit more on a deer that's not as alarmed or the custom to people or whatever. But if a deer is looking for you and wants to find you, if there's any amount of air that's got from you to that animal, he's going to smell you. But if there's no air or vapor from your body getting to him, there is no way in hell he's going to bust you. Now the only way it's going to bust you is if you're sitting there pissing your pants and the electricity is pouring off your body and you're so nervous, he's got that sixth sense. He actually senses you in that tree, um, you know, nervousness or whatever it is, or, you, uh, you know, you got your, your eyes or you're moving or whatever. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big game. I used to tell Cody, learn, learn to dis- disappear in the woods. And then he finally figured that out one day and he said, oh, now I know what you mean about I'll just disappear and just go away, man. Just, there's nobody here. There's nothing happening. Uh, you you find those spots, though. They are they're very enjoyable to hunt. Very empowering, man. <laughs> you, uh, you you mentioned disappear in the woods. I got to ask about the eye thing. I heard you have talked yeah. about. You think that deer can can see the whites of your eyes or sense you looking at them? Dude, I don't think anything. I know a deer will look right down into your soul through your eyeballs, just <laughs> like anybody else would. Um, you could look at me the wrong way across the bar, boy, and you can say a lot of shit to me through, <laughs> just, through a, <laughs> just through a look. And so where I've learned um, a lot on that is with filming and with, with binoculars, anything with a lens, or and I, was, I had Coke bottle glasses when I started out hunting. And I would have to say that a, for a hunters, is the biggest um, hindrance to a guy is if you wear glasses and, and you, you don't cover them up. So... I took it a step further now. I, I got rid of glasses. I had LASIK surgery, but I still see them deer will look right in. And you can tell, and here, here's how you can tell that they're looking at your eyes. That's all you got to do. You get a doe that pops you, looks right in your eyes. Just squint them eyes, close them, and we can just barely see her and just watch her flick her tail and go about her freaking business. Danger gone, and same with your binoculars. You see one staring at you, just take the binoculars and slowly tilt them down like a 45-degree angle. As soon as them binoculars go away from that deer seeing them, they just flick their tail and go about their business. Danger gone. Um, 
So it's the same with eyes. It's the same with camera lenses. It's the same with binoculars. Um, and dude, when I get my head net down and my eyes covered, I get some big shit coming in that just looks right on through me and they don't even know what the frick is going on up there. So, um, yeah, so that's something a lot of guys don't do. Like, I don't know anybody who puts a, f- oh, a face all, net over everybody their eyes. Wears a head net. You, you know what? Leave the head net off and get two little rings that'll go around your frickin' eyes to cover your body. It ain't your head you need to cover. It's your eyeballs. So. The eyeballs. Huh. Yeah. I, I definitely... Oh by, the, oh, by the way, we got a head net coming out. Uh... Do you really? <laughs> well, I've, I've been always wanting to have one, but I don't know if it's... Uh... Uh, there's enough out there you can customize to make. I yeah. take the regular ones um, that you can see through and cut, cut some on there. You'll, you'll try it sometime. If you got deer that are around, you don't want to shoot, and you're waiting for a certain buck. Take just put the head net down, and you can have it so you can simply. If, and I can shoot through a head net. Um, if you're not comfortable for shooting one, just let everything go about its business while it's near you, and then you can put the thing back up if you're filming and glassing and you're wanting to watch. But if you want something that's coming through that's not to get you, um, throw that thing down. I'll tell you, man, you you will not get busted. And you can wear a three-piece suit up there, <laughs> uh, no camo at all. As long as those eyes are covered, uh, <laughs> you'll be good. To, you'll be good to go. I'm going to test that one this year. I like that. <laughs> yeah. um, back to the wind thing. So something that I know a lot of people struggle with, and, and I do too, is trying to figure out how to balance playing the wind so that you don't get winded, but then also trying to be in the spot where a buck thinks he's got the wind in his favor. And you always hear about hunting these, like the wind just cutting corners, trying to be just off the edge and stuff like that. And can you describe exactly how you think through that? You, you just, you just gave me a scenario that in a situation that a buck is coming, he'll be concerned about how that's good for him. Like I said, a deer does not, um, there's ways that they travel through the woods. There's way that they prefer to come into a bed, leave a bed where they get spooked or alarmed. They want to bust out and run into the wind for a little bit and then loop back around. Um, a deer cannot move through its entire life and day with the wind perfect room. It's impossible to do. So what you do is you pick your spot, pick your ambush spot. And that ambush spot is the spot you got to man- manipulate. So when that deer comes through there, you want to make sure that the, uh, I don't, it might not even be good for that animal right there, but it's going to, it's going to be, um, it's going to be good for you. Cause you're going to be in the right, you know, the right spot off it that he's not going to get your win. And the other big thing is, um, um, I was just thinking about that the other day, years ago, a deer would only trust his nose. It wouldn't even believe what his eyes seen unless it smelt along with it. I remember when that changed, when the volume of hunters and things, and, and I don't tell, I don't, I don't know how a year and a half old buck that young, it's almost like it gets ingrained into genetics. If those teach, um, teach their offspring from year to year or what it is, but, uh, deer don't need the scent check anymore. They don't need to verify danger with their freaking nose anymore. They spot your ass and they'll, they'll be out of there or, or bug out. So you really got to be conscious on your setups with, vision and scent, but more importantly, obviously scent because you can have the one up on them where they don't see you and they're going to see you with their nose. So, um, same with a trail, you know, don't, don't set up on the inside of a, a, of a trail with the deer looking across the right, the way you're going. You don't want a deer looking through you, buddy. Believe me. You just want to, you want him looking off somewhere and you being off the side, not having a, you know, 
you even in his cone of vision. So throw that in along with your scent, uh, the right wind. And you've, you've in a portable tree stand, you set up and, and you've manipulated that spot. That deer comes through, you're going to get, you know, you'll get your crack at them. And you, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I <laughs> <laughs> hope so. You're, you're not an advocate for any kind of scent control other than just play the wind right. Am I, is that still true? No. So here's the thing. There's, there's always room for scent control. Where scent control is going to come in is uh, maybe not a molested deer. Maybe it's a borderline. They're just getting a little hint of you. Um, and there's, you know, dude, there's always a good argument for uh, Amoni's neat freaks too that takes a shower two, three times a day. So, uh, but what's funny, you know, what I, you know, my scent control, <laughs> I use a dial soap, which they say if you want to keep deer out of your garden to put shavings of that shit out there. I use all kinds of stuff in my clothing that they say, you know, is the worst thing you can use on it. Um, but I think what you want is antibacterial, you know, sweat don't smell until it hits bacteria and then heat's created. Um, keeping your scent control to a minimum is always going to be good. But what I'm saying is there's no freaking way if you think that you can be completely scent free, wear a suit, take showers in this, and you think you're going to beat a deer's nose. And you'll have guys that say, oh, this deer came in down. Good. So what? So a deer came in down one you. I'm looking for the son of a bitch I watched, you know, wind you from freaking 300 yards away and never even get to where you even seen it. And there's dozens of deer that do that. Um, and if you pay attention, you'll, you'll see that. So you still want good, good thing. But like I said, the only way to 100% make sure a deer does not sense you is that any vapor coming off your body cannot reach the area he's at. And there's only one way to do that is with some thermals, some vacuums, some wind direction. Because, uh, you know, scents will literally, too, drop the bottom of your tree and literally spill out against the wind somewhat. Um, so I've seen that, too, on my older winds. But um, start thinking about that. Um, I could tell you a little story on a hunter, too, that I, I, I taught that lesson to and started killing big deer every year. Um you still there? Because I got something ringing on my phone oh, here. Yep. No, I hear you loud oh, and clear. Okay, that's just somebody uh, coming. So, um, a friend of mine years ago, Todd Pritzink, uh, you probably know him in the industry. Yes. Uh, he ended up becoming a very good season hunter uh, and ended up with a tragedy. But when yeah. he was just green behind the ears and came to, to, to Illinois, he was a, a big fan of Lone Wolf. Um, he had it. And I'm a, I'm not going to mention the suit. Everybody's going to know who the suit is, and I'm not saying the suits uh, don't work. But he had it in his head that he could put a magic suit on and be completely scent-free. And even though he thought he was trying to play the wind, um, subconsciously, you think you got the shield of armor, and you don't have a shield of armor. And I told him how you got to start thinking about this whole deal. Uh, now you got a suit you never washed before that's probably contaminated. Uh, you're thinking you can get away with this and get away with that. Why don't you just go into the season thinking you can't get away with nothing and go at it with such a fricking uh, anal vengeance of wind direction, thermals, and just, you know, where you step before you set your stand. Uh, that season he killed his first buck there on one of our leases and uh, it was nothing but net ever since after that. He finally just got that part of it um, and then, you know, honed his skills as any, and whatever style he ended up, uh, 
uh, working for him, we'll, we'll start working for him. So, and it's like anybody, you know, so, and I'm not going to go and say a guy that if you need that badge or that shield and that's what gives you the confidence and then you play the win to a T, go for it. I'll give you a, here, here's a real good story for you. So when I first started out years ago, Dunk was the cover scent of the, the time. And then it turned into, everybody thought, oh, we're smart. You don't want to use skunk because when skunk sprays, it's alarmed and alarms your deer or whatever. So then it got to be um, uh, coon piss, and then it was, uh, it was earth scent. Earth scent was my badge, man. I'd get that shit on, and I'd be freaking invincible. One year, um, the industry went short. Nobody had it anywhere. I couldn't find. Sure kill is what I used to use. I ran over at every store, ran across town. Man, I was in, I was in a panic, dude. The season's coming, and I got no earth scent, right? So I went that season with no cover scent. I seen more and bigger deer than I ever seen in my entire freaking life, and I've never used the cover scent since, and it's been nothing but um, good times. So take that into a, uh, account that, um, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you can get a false sense of security that's uh, – might be hurting you, man. Um, yeah, it seems to be like as as long as you don't use those things as a crutch, right? Yeah. Don't get don't get false confidence to use as a crutch. Right. Always always play it, and then all those little things might be a little bit bonus on top, but never shortchange the original. Yeah, and I, I still don't think a guy, you know, your average guy is going to get. Um, do not realize how good that the animal senses when. And I watched a black bear uh, getting run by some dogs uh, in a hurricane when I was in a tree stand. And that thing must have been going 35 miles an hour. And my wind was blowing right down the logging road uh, at probably 20 miles an hour. That bear hit that freaking logging road. And it's where the guy looked like it hit a brick wall and turned on a dime, caught my scent like it, like that. Not even a question that it was, you know, a hint or whatever it is. It was that scent blowing there constantly hard. Uh, stink that them animals can see. And that's going to be hard to beat anything that can smell like that unless he just does not get a, uh, a whiffy at all. So if you can, if you can think that or picture that in your mind, even be able to, um, um, picture that, I think you, you, you know, you might come in in a little bit different way. And then you don't want to get to it. The other, here's another story I can tell you that was funny as hell. A guy that, uh, I was in camp with, um, was hunting in Wisconsin and he got up on a hunt two hours before anybody had to get out of bed to go hunt. And a son of a bitch had some potion and was taking a shower and shit in bags. And I'm like, <laughs> I could use some extra sleep. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You know, I said, man, I said, I guess when I got up, it was time to, to get ready. And that I says, you must, that shit must really, really work for you. If you're so, you know, you're so adamant about it. Um, and he told me, oh, I, yeah, I use it all the time. And I, I haven't seen a deer yet. And he was hunting the whole season in Wisconsin. I said, that's impossible. <laughs> it's literally impossible to have not seen a freaking deer hunting in the woods. Uh, the amount of times he was out there. And I'm like, and I just gave him a little bit of advice. You know, maybe you should uh, forget about all that. Get yourself a couple extra, you know, Z's in <laughs> before you head out. And, and start playing that wind a little bit more instead of that crutch. So, um, and I've seen that time and time again. And it's just... Um, it's just saying so. And here's, here's the thing that's, I don't want to sound arrogant or anything. When you ask me too, about, you think that they're seeing your eyes, dude, I don't think nothing. (laughs) 
everything I tell you, I freaking know for a fact. I don't give a shit what any engineers say or what <laughs> books say or whatever the hell that shit is. Uh, if I'm telling you, man, it's 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 freaking golden because I've I've experienced it numerous numerous times, and um, uh, and not to say that there's some some weird shit that can happen. I've had deer come downwind to me that I know could smell me too, and and, and it just it was a time of year that the deer just didn't give a shit. And then I have other times uh, you couldn't get anywhere near that damn deer. You you just bug out. So when in Rome, you know the time yeah. of year, change up your your tactics, get a more aggressive as it gets closer to rut, and then during the rut, dude, you can get. You want to do a bump and dump. If you ain't seeing deer, you know the lockdown period when there's a four-day period, you don't see a freaking deer. You wonder where all yeah. your bucks went. Yeah. Get your ass down and go walk every ounce of that freaking property until you run into a bunch of do- uh, bucks looking at you and a bunch of deer that ain't even running off and just set a stand up and hang on to your freaking hat, brother. Because <laughs> you are in the game. There's a doe and heat in there. It's got every buck on her right then and there. And uh, if you're in the same little draw or the same woodlot, you're going to have the time of your life. And if you're two draws over, you're going to have three days before you see any bucks at all moving around again because they're all in one spot. So. Yeah. I- I've heard you say that you hate the rut, but there yeah. are certain situations like that, I guess, where you can you can enjoy that, right? Well, that's why I hate the rut. That's the kind of shit you got to do too. So this year on this property here, when that rut hits, all of a sudden – on your cameras, you'll start getting pictures of all kinds of small bucks, uh, smaller class deer, and literally every freaking buck is gone for weeks, which is amazing. You think they'd stick around and and they they like got the ones that came in the, the heat here early, got and they're and they're literally freaking gone, and you'll be just spinning your wheels for a couple um, weeks hunting here, and all of a sudden after the rut or late season, I'll see these things just coming in from across just vast open. Crop rounds, there he is, heading back to home. <laughs> Done chasing shit around for, you know, uh, three miles this way, three miles that way. or um, uh, So that's why, if you're looking for that deer, now don't get me wrong, there's a shitload of other bucks that'll be traveling through here and all these smaller ones running all over hell you could kill. But the one I'm looking for, he's he's gone. I ain't got a prayer in the world of killing him because he's, you know, held up with a door and heat two miles in a woodlot somewhere. Um He's not coming back home tonight. Let's put it that way, you know. Yeah. So, so in that kind of situation, is is your go to, you know, aggressive move? Literally doing what you just said. Like in that situation, you will walk them down until you find a bunch. And well, now here, so we got again the cameras. This is a property that I know inside now. This property here, there will be a short window during the rut when other deer are doing just what my deer are doing. And I don't get it for the lay of the land here. We got the only cover and it's all big open stuff, but there'll be a spot I have in a woodlot that every year we'll get one non-resident deer that we've never uh, had a picture of or any experience with it. Just, and it just seems like one, maybe two. Um, that's huge. And I remember one year, um, it was coming at that time and I knew where I needed to be. I needed to be in that stand. The, uh, at that time, and my son beat me to that stand at that time, and he had a flammer come through that he uh, he kind of messed up on, but that's what I was talking about, kind of knowing in advance where you need to be. That was my one hope of shooting a big deer during the next three weeks on this property, and that was it. I needed to be there, and I wasn't there, so now I had to wait for late season. And then a bunch of other deer moved back in, and it was, you know, 
you can go after whatever you wanted to, then the, the deer are back. So, <laughs> um, could be a different scenario in uh, areas where there's just, um, you know, like down in Illinois, we're along a the river there. They'll get bucks coming in that are just traveling um, from miles and miles away during the rut. You know, when you're looking for them, everything's bred and you're looking for some scragglers or. Um, but if you're not looking for a specific deer, man, get down and go find the doe and heat and get the, the whole game. We had it one here, year, two year, uh, a deer. I don't know if you know this or not. Probably a lot of guys don't. When a deer gets injured, a doe, she's got a bone broke or an injury. They put off a stink where they smell literally like a doe and heat. So one year we had an injured doe up in a draw here and I was on it uh, on the side of my property and every buck on the property was following that doe in and out of that draw every night. There was like 13 bucks on her and Cody was on the other side. I said, dude, you, you can hunt all you want over there. I said, everything on this property is over here right now. Um, and they would follow around thinking that, you know, in four days or something, they're going to get lucky or whatever the hell they're doing. And she wasn't going to heat. She was just, and a stink from being injured, but the same with a doe that's going to heat, you can have your entire group of deer all living in one little small spot for a while on your property. And, you know, you're sitting, you know, half a mile away in another spot where it ain't happening. You could sit there all day long. You ain't, you're not getting no action, brother. Yeah, the the rut, it is uh, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. You either got it or you don't. <laughs> yeah, but here's the deal with this rut. Here's what I'm like, but. You know the spot to have been one year in, in Milwaukee was on Wisconsin Avenue next to the bus stop. If you would have been in a telephone pole hunting there, you'd have shot a Pope and Young that year. <laughs> he came through frickin' that. I mean, that's the kind of shit you're dealing with in the rut. Yeah. So that's when if you, if it's, but don't get me wrong, there's rut hunters and you can be, you can capitalize on some pretty huge bucks in that rut because they're coming in from, my deer are running around like that on somebody else's property. Yeah. So the guy that's sitting in the right spot, on the right day is going to get that crack of that deer where a little bit later when it gets to late season, he ain't never seen it again. Cause it's coming back here in winter. And so, um, I just don't like hunting a deer that I've never, I don't have a personal deal with. And don't get me wrong, dude. If, you know, 190 buck comes by, I've never seen before. It's getting a freaking arrow in it. Yeah. Two actually. <laughs> um, but when I'm hunting the specific one I'm wanting, I'm not out just for a, a rut buck or some impersonal kill of, you know, um, whatever caliber, but most guys don't give a shit. They want to, they want to kill Jesus during the rut. If, if a deer's on your property, it, it's funny. Uh, cause we'll have cameras out in a lot of spots and, um, a buck I was after once, uh, the moon phase said late. So when the deer were moving later, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm not an all day sitter, so I can't, so I'm going to go out a little bit later and then I'm going to go sit through the midday when the action was happening. The damn morning that I frickin' slept in, this monster was through my yard chasing a frickin' doe all over hell. When I'm sitting here eating breakfast, I should have been in a stand. <laughs> and when I went and checked cameras, I could have been in four different frickin' stands I could have picked that morning and killed that buck on any one of them. Wow. <laughs> and where the hell was I? Uh, you know, like an idiot, uh, sipping a cup of coffee, waiting for I was going to go in, in a little later. So made a bad decision on that one, but um, that's the kind of stuff that happens. And, um you, you got to go with it, man. Yeah, you just don't know. Man, um, I feel – well, I don't feel. I literally have like 30 more topics that I, I wanted to talk to. I think we need another podcast, brother. I know. If you're if you're up for it, uh, I, <laughs> I'm think, up for it. I think we should do it because I feel like we barely scratched the surface on some of this stuff. Um, but we're coming up on I'm two hours. I'm going to tell you, I, I, get, I get no more bigger thrill than the guy that walks up to me on a show – 
that's been hunting two years, listened to some stuff we said, took it to heart, tried it, and went and shot two two giant bucks that year um, in ways that most average guys would think you're freaking nuts. It can't be done. Um, and seeing seeing these guys get set off on the right foot. The worst thing that aggravates me the worst is to see people getting some false information or some gimmicky stuff, and they get set off. The kid's just destined for failure, uh, and I think that's just criminal to see that. So, um, And what's really rewarding to me is all these guys have become friends all these years to see what uh, the talent go from. You know, you know you're old when you, you watch the guy – growing his career 20 years, um, go from some pretty inexperienced guys to just, um, some pretty stealthy, pretty, um, pretty educated guys, man. These guys are, like I said, they're, they're knocking some, and you know what? There's a lot of big stuff to be knocking down these days too. Or I think years ago there wasn't. So, um, you know, you got the right tools, you got a little bit of right information and location, 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 brother. So, yeah. I know and I feel sorry for some of the guys that are, I cut my, uh, um, my teeth on a lot of spots where, you know, they don't have spot to hunt. They're hunting these high pressured areas with, uh, a lot of hunters. I learned to be a good hunter by hunting that, that type of scenario with 10 acres with 10 guys hunting it. Yeah. Um, and you know, when you can come out of there and see three, four bucks in a night, end up under like your stand stage in Sparn, and everybody else comes out and hasn't seen a deer in the night. It's kind of a pretty good feeling that you you know you're kind of figuring some stuff out and um, oh, yeah. um and like I said, it's empowering, man, to, to learn it and just keep soaking it in. And yeah, you figure it out in the tough situations, and then you can do it anywhere. Yeah, and I, like I said, it's so if if you've seen that as much as I did, you'd you'd probably learn it unless you're. You can get hit in the head a couple of times and <laughs> somebody walks up to you, pops you in the head a few times. You want to take note that he's probably going to do it again. So, but yeah, yeah, um, it just don't. And again, my, the, my mind works different. I, I, I take it in and I, and I think about it always. I think about Christ. I think about tracks that I cut 40 years ago, believe it or not, why they pop into my head or that scenario. It's just, it's, it's, it's ugly. Um, <laughs> like I said, I'd like to be able to turn it off at one point here and just take a rest. But, well, uh, I'm not gonna, in my not in my DNA. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to keep prying into this stuff and do some more uh, investigating to figure it out because I think everyone's hearing this right now has been learning a lot and uh, it's helpful stuff. I, I want to. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I want to ask a few more, just a couple more quick questions. We're gonna kind of pivot and then wrap it up um, since we're we've taken a lot of your time here today. But what what were you about to say before I jumped in? Uh, I lost my train of thought. I was going to say something about the, oh, about, like I said, the caliber guys out now, or the, the, the kids and the amount of knowledge that we have with, you know, with more about the weather and all that. I think you have a, uh, you know, there's that old school guy that's out there that, you know, is a good hunter and keeps getting it done. I, I think these guys can, can be educated and learning. I never thought that, um, I thought you were either born with, um, you know, a talent to be a good athlete or a good hunter and you, it's something that you had, but I don't believe that anymore. I believe that you can, you can learn and you can, uh, um, you can apply it right. You know, I never could. Cause I, like I said, I, I just had a messed up, <laughs> messed up mind the way I thought. So, uh, I had to learn it all on my own. Well, it certainly seems to have worked for you. Um, okay. 
last couple questions real quick. This one is a kind of a hypothetical scenario that I've been asking a lot of people about lately, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Let's say that I have control of the world and I'm going to take away your ability to hunt for the next 10 years. Can't hunt for the next 10 years unless you kill your target buck this year and you've got only one day to do it and you only get to pick one spot to kill him. If you had to guess right now, what's the day you're going to pick that's going to give you your very best chances and describe to me what you think that exact spot would be for this very high stakes hunt. I'm going to tell you right now, I lost this game because I am not good enough to go in and pick the right day and the right time of one. I have to have a process of hunting, seeing, developing. That would be like, I'll tell you how I take my pick. Yeah. I'll take a wheel with the days and throw the freaking roulette wheel, and I would take a dart, and I would throw it at my property map, and I will give you that because that is exactly what you're asking me to to predict. <laughs> there is no freaking way on earth that you can uh, figure that out. Now, that one from Wisconsin, that was a pretty good, educated type of thing there. But uh, I'm, I'm telling you, man, it's, that's, <laughs> that's, I, I guess I ain't hunting ever again. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's no, what I'd have to say to that. that that's fair. That's a fair answer. Um, okay. And then one other kind of totally different topic, but I do think that it's worth just covering off on it a little bit because I think you've talked a lot about different mistakes that have happened throughout the course of your hunting career and how you learn from these different things. You set up in the wrong spot, a deer does something, you figure it out, you learn from it, you get better because of it. Um, one thing that I'm curious if you'd be willing to just give me a little bit of, of perspective on is that there was a game violation that I know that you had had an issue with back, I don't know, a decade ago. And if someone Googles you, this thing pops up. And I would love to hear, you know, your perspective on, on what happened, what you learned from that. Because I think there's a lot of people who probably have committed some kind of infraction and didn't realize it, or they did, and they, they all of a sudden well, had I'm glad I'm glad you asked that because this is what we've been wanting to get out since day one. So there's, everybody's got their fans and everybody's got their uh, people that want to bash on them and, and call them. So back years ago, coming up, anybody, everybody wanted to be the, the world's best bow hunter. And anybody who shot really big deer always would have this uh, overtone of being a, you know, other jealous guys would call them poachers or that they did things illegal. And I'm going to tell you right now, they weren't too far off. There was a lot of guys doing a lot of shady shit um, over the years. So because if you can imagine me coming up in the class of deer that I'm shooting right under everybody's noses, right on the same properties, um, there was always that people that, that hated you or wanted you to fail. So over the years, you can imagine a 40 years of hunting, I've had a few, and then guys, you know, they, they'll, they'll bring them up, and they'll, uh, and I know some of the guys who bring these things up, I know them from years ago. You talk about outright poachers. Um, I've actually taken those guys as projects and changed them. They literally believe that a trophy deer could, would not be moving around in daylight hours. So I ended up falling victim to being in my tree stand 10 minutes too late one year, 
there for the reason of catching a trespasser and poacher that was on my property, no arrow knock, but a law enforcement jealous guy on a police department sticked a warden after me, who we find out later on was watching me for two weeks straight every day, evening hunting. And can you imagine being watched for two weeks straight on an evening pulse and then never being a minute after getting down the right times doing it. And then one day uh, you're 10 minutes after and you get a, you get a, a violation. Now it really rubs me wrong that anybody would think that I'd have to cheat with the success I've had. And what really was good in the years to come is taking up this video and filming showing the freaking world that trophy whitetail are up on their feet midday and you don't have to be a poacher um, was validation. So I made the mistake. I shouldn't have been, uh, even though I got a ticket, the law reads that as long as you don't have an arrow knocked, you're not constituting hunting. Uh, who out there has not been in a tree stand 10 minutes after closing hours? Uh, I'll call them all liars. And every one of us is in our tree stands 10 minutes before the season opens in the morning, ready to go. So, um, I didn't, the mistake I made was having the success I've had over the years. And then another occurrence that happened was in the state of Illinois where I ordered licenses and the state of Illinois did not send me all the proper licenses, but sent me a permit, ended up going in the woods and, uh, uh never even got caught hunting, but ended up, uh, Big headlines read of the enemies, you know, uh, trophy hunter caught hunting with no license in this. Everybody and your brother, if you read that article, would have thought I was the most reckless nut running around without licenses, hunting over bait, just total freaking insult to, uh, um, to mine and everybody else's intelligent when that's all that was forgotten and it was forgotten on their part was a, uh, a habitat stamp. You know, we had the 800 hour licenses bought. Common mistake, they usually let you go buy your um, habitat stamp and then go back to hunting. Not this guy. This is a Boone and Crockett that, you know, some of these uh, haters are trying to take down. And, they, and somebody had literally taken that. When you, when you Google that, that article, here's what somebody's doing. That article has gone away for years, and somebody is purposely bringing it up to the forefront to damage credibility. So whoever that is, they're a loser. They probably ain't got much on their wall, and they're very jealous type hunter. Um, but all the occurrences I've had over the years were all just little mistakes. I've talked to dozens of guys who've done the same thing, even residents of Illinois that have forgot to buy their habitat stamp. Um, ran into a wrong situation where, you know, things have happened. But I'll tell you point blank to this day, uh, if I was a cheater, I would have a world record on my wall right now, and I'd have freaking dozens world-class deer more than I have right now. Um, this ain't what it's all about for me. It's about me and this whitetail, and I never gave a shit what anybody else ever thought about me and my talents of deer hunting. So I'm glad we got that out, and now there's no question. Anybody, if you want to call me a poacher, you want to do whatever you want, call away. But if you want to just dial into whitetail addictions and watch all of the shit going down for you in plain and color, you you can see it. So. Uh, I, I appreciate you being willing to talk about that because I, I do I think thank it's, you for asking. yeah. And I think that what you bring up is it's not 
it's it's important just to understand in your situation. But I think it's also a really important reminder for just the average Joe out there because every state you go to, there are so many different little changes and oh, variations oh and regulations. And honest to goodness, I I wouldn't be surprised if there was some little thing I got wrong that I had no idea about. Um, so it's just a you good... You've got to get an attorney now to read half these laws and regulations. And, you know, just think of it for, for a guy who does that for a living to, to try and tag. And I think what they were trying to tag me with was they were trying to get rid of baiting in Wisconsin. And they were trying to get a high-profile hunter, basically, caught hunting illegal over a bait or something to to verify their case. But that is so frickin', uh, that is the lowest thing you can frickin' do um, to a real trophy hunter is to accuse them of that. And um, it's, it's, like I said, it's just, uh, you got all the facts you can look at. You can say all you want, and I know every other trophy hunter that I know, all these other guys that come up have experienced the same thing. They'll be, and you know what? It's not that way anymore. There's not the jealousy there was years ago because there's the caliber animal around, and people are, a lot of people are getting them. But years ago, you got to remember, not, a lot of guys weren't killing deer, and they were not good hunters. They were piss poor hunters, and they didn't have the talent to do it. And just because I couldn't do it, and you could, you got to be doing something wrong. That's the mentality that they had. Um, yeah. And it's sad. And I think uh, even that warden down the road, I think he found out his uh, the wool was pulled over his frickin' eyes, and um, he might have seen the lights of that. Uh, somebody who's painting me out to be a scumbag was really the scumbag itself. So yeah. Well, I, f- I feel like the moral of the story here is leave the jealousy at home and always double check your regulations. And ex- exactly, you need to um, even knowing your regulations and even knowing the facts. Uh, you got to do everything completely right. If you got to imagine being in the woods for four, four decades, every day of the season, evening and late, different states, you're bound to step in a hole uh, here or there. And uh, just like speed, you know, you get a speeding ticket here or there. But these guys want to paint this shit as like uh, you got caught poaching a deer, you did some shit. Dude, that would be the lowest thing I could ever do to myself to take one uh, illegally. It's, it's, it's cheating, and I don't need to cheat. I have enough tools. Um, to win that game on my own. So yeah, if that, anything, I would like to put a little advantage in their court. <laughs> yeah. You certainly, so. uh, the, the proof is in the pudding. Um, that being the case, I think there's probably a lot of people that heard our conversation today and, and want more, um, okay. want to learn more about what you're doing. You're putting out a lot of stuff these days between the podcasts and whitetail addictions and, and all the content. Where can people go to, to learn more about that stuff? And uh, and if they want to get some of these tools you talk about as far as gear, can you fill us in a little bit there too? Yeah, so you can uh, you can go to uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear and you can uh, tap into our uh, uh, YouTube page, our Whitetail Addictions uh, page. Uh, Justin Hollingsworth heads up our whole um, thing there. You can put in applications. We had a ton of applications. We actually had to, had to shut them down this year for guys wanting to get involved. Uh, we want to see some of the new guys uh, again. You're seeing a lot of really big deer shot on these shows. We're not, it's, it's, it just happens to be that way, but we're not all about it. So we do have some deer that are not that big that we understand. Or guys are in areas that the caliber animals are not that size, or you're hunting public, or you're just starting out. Uh, we want those st- stories, too. We would like to have a few women in there. And the equipment, uh, we have some high-end equipment. Uh, that's what I've always uh, done. There's a lot of other stand manufacturers out there. There's XOP that have some... Uh, uh, some more reasonable ones, so you can um, you can go there and purchase uh, some stands that are uh, a good price, or you can. Um, I think we have some of the best 
best designs in the tree stand industry um, with our new line of stands. And I think guys appreciate those good tools. I appreciate them. And it's the reason why I keep making them better and better is because I want better and better equipment for myself. So, um, and then we have a, uh, also a little, uh, you know, a tiny little podcast with <laughs> the uh, tributes and tribulations between a son and his father that uh, are kind of interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> too, but, We've always enjoyed yours, and you came highly recommended from uh, numerous people, so I'll, I'll say that about you. That's why I took the time to give you um, this podcast, and I wouldn't mind, uh, like I said, there's so much stuff to cover. Uh, we could never cover it all in one, and I'd, I'd enjoy coming back on. So, All right. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to hold you to that because I really would like to keep talking. This has been a lot of fun, and if it wasn't for my wife texting me and telling me that the kids are getting pissed because they need to eat, I'd keep on yeah. talking. <laughs> I hear you, brother. Well, Andre, thank you. Uh, I hope we can chat more soon before the season or or soon after. And if not, though, good luck come October 1. Hey, brother. Luck's got nothing to do with it. Remember that. (laughs) That's a good good point. I'll leave you with that. That's a good point. All right, guys. There you go. The one and only Andre DeQuisto. Quite quite the, uh, the chat. I mean, there's a lot to take in there. A lot of good stuff. Um, I do want to circle back on one thing, though, and just make make things very crystal clear. I asked Andre about his run-in with the, the game violation situation because I think it's a situation we can all learn from. I was not doing this because I want to in any way normalize vi- violating hunting regulations. I want to make sure we say, hey, anyone can make a mistake, Anyone can do something that's not quite right, and we all have to take responsibility for that, and we all need to learn from that. So what I take away from Andre's situation is just that each and every one of us has to double and triple check regulations. We've got to pay attention to the changes each year, and we need to do our very best to follow them to a T. Um, I mentioned when we were chatting a second ago that a lot of us, myself included, has maybe unwittingly done something wrong without knowing it. And I'm saying that not to imply that that's okay. I'm not saying, oh, it's the government's fault for having too many hunting regulations. I'm not condoning any kind of violation or violator. I'm simply saying, be careful. Be responsible. Don't let a silly mistake ruin your hunt or your year or the next few years of your hunting life. Um, This conversation has just been a great reminder for me to personally go back and reread the regulations for Michigan and other states I'm going to just to make sure I've got it down pat. and that's it. I think I'd recommend everybody do the same too. It's it's on us to make sure we've got it right. So that's that's why I bring something like this up. I think we need to just we need to talk about these things. We need to think about these things. And it's not the most fun thing to talk about, um, but it's it's important. So sorry we have to wrap up on that note. But hey, this podcast was all about learning as much as we possibly could from Andre in all sorts of different ways. Uh, I think we did that. We've heard a lot, lots to take in. So I'm going to let you go now. Let you stew on all this. Let you grind it on out. See if there's anything you can add to your hunting repertoire. And uh, hopefully it's going to help you some this hunting season. So thank you for tuning in. Thanks for following along. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal 
you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 